Hello again, friends, and you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here in the winter of 2024, a light week, so we could have some fun and also not really care too much. We were just laughing because someone's trending again, and we don't know exactly why, and that man is this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Not only do I not know, but I do not care. I do not care, careth why I trend, I merely trend because I exist. It's going to be one of those days. I'm going to tell you, I'm feeling puny. Now, this is your MO. You're doing this all. You start out the show. Sometimes even before we get on the air, you're telling me, oh, the, the internet's sketchy or I'm feeling bad. The kid's been sick. I don't know. My, you know, my fucking canker sore on my taint is flared up. You're lowering the expectations, Brian, uh, you know, normally, but this time it's, it's my day too, because I'm feeling puny, as Christine Jarrett would say, just out of sorts. Don't have the, the vim and vigor and the energy that I normally possess. It was a late night last night because it was Valentine's. I didn't get to bed till 9 on to 9.30, quarter to 10. For a man my age, that's remarkable, but I'll have you know I did not get out of bed until 8 o'clock this morning, which is why I'm feeling that I may be in the grip of some creeping illness. I'm not sure what yet, but <clears throat> I'm a little drippy. I'm a little lackadaisical, a little lackluster, so today I'm going to rely on your extensive knowledge of broadcasting and ability to stretch words out and, and throw out phrases and things while it, I sit here and overcome dizzy spells. Do you think, could this be the beginning of the end? Is this a sign here? I've just been to more doctors. They can't find anything. Isn't it frustrating when you go to the doctor and you're like, I'm sure they're going to tell me a number of things. And they say, we give you a clean bill of health. No, how could that be? Something has to be wrong. Well, I, I don't know if I would use the term frustrating. But perplexing, in my, you know, case especially, I'm nigh on to 20 years older than you are. So at, at this point, you tend to think, well, what, what are they missing? Or why is something's not happened? We don't know. But You should bring your action figures to the doctor's office. You could point to where your body hurts. Point to where it hurts, my yeah. My knees are achy here, exactly right here at this joint. My real goddamn knee joint is right in front of them. See, that's that's the problem, is that... Your real knee joint doesn't prompt figure sales. But if you showed the doctor, who makes a very nice income, that you have action figures, and he goes, oh, that's so great. I didn't know one of my clients here, one of my clients, one of my patients, <laughs> one of my customers, I didn't know he has action figures. Where can I buy one? Oh, by the way, we have multiple variety. Boom. Well, I've never thought of that. Thank you very much for that marketing advice. But you did bring up something there I've never thought of, too. How come how come the doctor wants you to get well and be well? Because that's antithetical to his success, isn't it? The I get, is there The dentist gives you a lollipop. Well, uh, but when you only till you reach the age of reason. And then once you're under the gas, he may give you all kinds of blow pops, but <laughs> but the thing with the doctors is is there just a Enough of a steady supply of sick people 
that they they don't have to worry about making some of them well because more will come to take their place and they'll stay in business? Or what is their, besides the, the moral compass that some of them may possess, I wonder what their their uh, motivation is to make us all well because then they'd be sitting around with their dicks in their hands doing nothing, making no money. Well, they make a lot of money. Well, I know their motivation is they make a lot of money, but they wouldn't if everybody got well and they did their job right. Well, their job is to get you well. If if doctor has patients that every one of them's dying, you're going to go, oh, I'm not going to that fucking guy. Well, but it, they got to make Especially it with all good. this variety of doctors. I can go here. I can go yeah. there. Do you accept my insurance? Hello. And that, that, well, there's a problem we won't even get into, whether you got insurance or not around in this country. But nevertheless, the point is they got to make it look good. They can't expose their business. So they got to they got to cure some people. They can let some go. And then they got to keep some there, I would think, at the borderline where it could go either way. Oh, he's making a depending like if the advance is up or not. If Fritz would be making a comeback or no, he's back in, you know, serious condition. So do you think they should bring back house calls? Well, they they used to do that on television all the time back in the 50s and 60s, right? And, and in the movies, before that, just call a doctor. He'll come over and there the doctor is at the kid's bedside in your home. I don't know if I'd want most of the doctors these days in my fucking home, in my children's bedroom. You would also feel like you need to clean, right? The doctor's well, yeah, coming, yeah. I feel like, shit, oh, the house looks awful. I got to clean oh, before he gets here. But here's the thing. On television, they never showed the doctor walking into some fucking hoarder's goddamn double-wide trailer. <laughs> That's right. With goddamn maggots spewing about. It was always a, a suburban, middle-class, white fucking yeah. household. Dennis the Menace has a paper cut. Call the doctor. He'll come over with his Yeah, I'll, st- I'll, I'll stop by on my way home, Ward. They were all on a first-name basis. I've... I just got a new doctor. He's younger than I am now. So he's on the ball. The doctor I used to have, he's like 10 or 15 years older than me. This was till a few years ago. And I started going in and I would be reminding him what he had told me previously and what was wrong with me in the past. And then finally, you know, I decided to, to you know, switch doctors when he said, it. who are you again? But nevertheless. You should have had your action figure. You could have showed him your action figure. Oh, this is God me right it. here. I have a variety of these for sale outside. When you, when you go to the doctor, do you try to talk them into signing up to subscribe to our YouTube channel? No, I sell them Jim Cornette action figures. I have a whole variety of them right outside in the trunk. Come on outside. I swear to God, Stacey, although honestly, they asked to see it around the, the establishment there, the clinic, whatever it is. But when Stace went to her back doctor, she had to show him on her phone the YouTube clip of her getting press slammed in Freedom Hall. She said, this is what I used to do. Maybe that's part of the problem. They're like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's when it's weird. Tell me what's going on. Oh, let me show you a clip. Yeah. Well, and, and the, you know, then they're like, were you on the news? No, this was on television, but not the news. It was not a... It's not a felonious assault. It was a cooperative effort. We sold tickets, but nevertheless. You know, they have like virtual doctor visits now too, where you don't even have to leave your house. You could just go in front of the computer and like Zoom your doctor. Yeah, no, no. I want. I so they want can send him, a Z pack to CVS. No, I, I want him to fucking look me over and fucking needle around a few places with his fingers and see if I have the stench of impending death coming off of me, whatever the doctor's do to determine when they look at you and 
look to, they take their glasses and put them down on the end of their nose and they look in your eyeballs and they take two fingers and put them on the side of your neck and they know right then whether you need to have your gallbladder removed or not. You know, I was just telling Suzanne, I went to a doctor the other day. I had seen him like four years ago, seeing him again now. And in the middle of sitting face to face talking to me, he yawns. <laughs> like a big yawn puts his fist in front of his mouth like that's going <laughs> to stop it or do anything. <laughs> And he just yawns, and then he doesn't say anything. I was going to make a joke if he had said, I'm sorry, eh, don't worry, it happens to all of us. He didn't say anything, so now I know sold it too. And I'm trying to hold in any kind of reaction and pay attention. But he just yawned right in the middle of the fucking talk. The talk. I'm okay, ladies and, and gentlemen. The, the talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we find that uh, it's stage four hooping belch, and chances are your lungs are going <sighs> to... Fall out next week. <sighs> guy's talking to me. I'm like, again, I'm sitting at a chair. I'm not even up on the table. I'm sitting at a chair right at his level. And he just yawns. And then he just doesn't say anything. You what should have asked if, if you were keeping him up. If, you know. That's what Suzanne said. I was like, everything was going so well. I didn't want to ruin it. This guy sometimes has an attitude. Your doctor has an attitude? Hey, you know, he thinks who he is. He's a doctor. He's making lots of money. Well, God damn it. Still, he's, 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 you're the customer, and the customer's always right. I put him to sleep almost in this fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a boring medical history. Hey, listen, I saw the rest of the people in that lobby. I was the youngest and most exciting person there that whole day. Well, then there's the problem, is that you're already going to see this fucking doctor that sees mostly geriatric, senile Alzheimer's patients that are ready for the fucking... Either the villages or the morgue are potentially in that order. Well, potentially. What do you think? You're 40-something years old walking in there already. What do you think when you get to my age? You're going to be going to a mortician to get made up. Smelling like grisly death, not even knowing it. Well, on a more positive note, did you have a nice Valentine's Day? Yes, it was very Valentine's-y, middle of the week. Wednesday. Nothing says, nothing says I love you like AEW Dynamite, but nothing, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing big. I mean, we had a very nice time. We had a big, expensive family meal, and we'll do something over a the weekend. A big, expensive family meal. You had to throw that in. Not a, not a big, delicious, or a big, jovial, or a big, celebratory, but a big, expensive family. You still... There's a lot of mouths to feed. Well, that's the thing. You're still pissed off about those kids wanting to eat every dadgum day, aren't you? I'm not pissed off about it. But they got to start contributing. Well, you know, th they've grown the tomatoes as much as they can. You ought to move to a warmer climate and they could do, you know, citrus fruit in the wintertime. I'm not against having some kind of indoor area. I could build another... Uh, An indoor grow area? Yeah, I'm not against that. So we could do something. For legal purposes. We can't do any of that. What are we talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> speaking of grizzly well, death. I was going to talk about my Valentine's. I was going to mention that Stacy got me a beautiful celebratory cake for my Valentine's. We actually, we had Valentine's Day mania. Valentine mania. Because it was, we couldn't decide which one of us wanted to fix the other dinner. So we had to do Tuesday night and Wednesday night. So the Tuesday night, night one of Valentine Mania, Stace made crab cakes, oysters, Rockefeller, and various poo-poo platter. You know, they call it out there, the hors d'oeuvres, the hors d'oeuvres and the appetizers in Hawaii. They call uh, poo-poo platter. 
P-U-P-U. Nelson's outcast son, Oysters Rockefeller. <laughs> Oysters Rockefeller never <laughs> was was completely shut out of the will. Uh, but in, and then uh, the Wednesday night, I made my world-famous spaghetti with homemade garlic bread. And uh, we found the, uh, well, I didn't find it. it, out in the one of the new rooms that we remodeled last year and the year before that stretched so long, people heard banging and hammering for a while. Uh, in one corner, Stace got her art studio, but we also put a massive electric couch in there that it's not like, it doesn't electrocute you if you've done felonious assault or whatever it, it it it's a power couch it lays back it leans up power it, couch a power power couch <laughs> and we got the big ass tv hung on the wall and 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 she found i can't go in the room though because it's all smart you can't use the light switches that'll fuck them up you got to tell out loud instruct which lights to come on and what color to be and all that stuff and the tv has Five million channels. It's hooked up to all the smart things, and it also tells you when the oven is warmed up and the refrigerator door is open. But I digress. We she found the Alfred Hitchcock channel, where all they do is play episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV series. And we had the pleasant and 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 many belly rubs with Harley. Of course, Harley got us cards because she's. She's, you know, uh, uh, sentimental that way. And and it was 60 degrees, so we sat outside in the backyard with the puppy, and it's 60 degrees day, and I'm talking to you, and tomorrow I would sit out with the puppy, but it's going to fucking snow tomorrow after being 60 degrees. No wonder we're all sick and puny. But anyway, that's what we did for Valentine's Day, and I double-dog dare anybody to tell me that I would rather have been out on the road producing any of this fucking wrestling than sitting in my backyard and eating spaghetti. Boy, the uh, people are getting the their... cookout over there. Yeah. And people are getting their faces bashed in. <laughs> They're goddamn... <laughs> it's scandal, chaos, and potential death out there in the wrestling world uh, these these days. It's too dangerous for people like you and me. In your younger days, when you were on the road, was it tough, Valentine's Day, dealing with relationships and being on the road? Uh, well, no, because you just decided, okay, this this year, Valentine's Day will be on this particular day. And you tried to get within a week of it, to see if you had a day off or at least you were close enough that you weren't going to leave home until later in the afternoon where you could do something. So it, it worked That's out, smart. you know, a week either way. So you could have a week of Valentine's days in different towns in the territories. Well, no, I thought you were talking about at home. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, yes. Then you tried to find a day off where you would actually be home to have a Valentine's day with your intended sweetie. You weren't gallivanting off around on, on the road uh every night of the week doing that for valentine's day you were just doing that because you wanted to all right this has been sweet nothings with jim Cornish. <laughs> it's your show i'm it's waiting for my you. show you know jim that, well you mentioned all the jim Cornette action figures how about the midnight express tag team set action figures and the heavily bodies action figures also how about them apples i don't have them in stock yet i have to uh wait for uh my that's because i haven't got your fucking payment 
Put up or shut up. Well, we put them up, and you shut up. You didn't say a god. You didn't say send put them up in the mail. You didn't say I put a them up in the mail. Thing. Well, no, they're up for sale at jimcornette.com, folks. As a matter of fact, and all moving briskly, of course, as we figured they would. The few remaining pictures that Bobby Eaton had signed went instantly. And then everything else has been spread out. We mentioned what we just did a show two days ago. I mentioned that everything else is spread out in approximately even uh, popularity in terms of the Eaton and Condry, the Eaton and Lane, and the Heavenly Bodies, although surprisingly, but maybe not, the Heavenly Bodies have pulled out ahead. As we mentioned, there's, uh, you know, this is the first time ever for Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard, the Heavenly Bodies, and it'll be the last time that I do them. So uh, the uniqueness there has led the Heavenly Bodies to outpace the Midnight Express either version. But we, they are still available at jimcornet.com starting at $99.95 or sets with the Milestones book. And uh, you can get those while they are hot. As we mentioned, they're not going to be remade. This is the second half of the Midnight Express 40th anniversary celebration. A few hundred of the Four packs are still available also, but those have picked up since we, for whatever reason, people have been waiting to get the, the four pack. And I don't understand that. Cause would you wait to, to take your life-saving medicine? Would you wait to take a breath of sweet oxygen? If you'd been under the water, how can you wait to get something that may disappear forever? Anyway, speaking of disappearing forever, so is this, uh, plug i'm doing jimcornet.com uh on sale now all of the various tag team action figure sets of the midnight and the heavenly bodies and of course you could buy some extra ones and you could use the body of stan lane or at least the trunks and then the head of dennis condry and take the hair of bobby eaton and paint it another color boom you got a gigolo jimmy del rey I'm not sure that all of the people that you mentioned that they would take parts from would agree that any of their parts looks like Jimmy Del Rey's. Sold. We have those two. <laughs> Once again, jimcornet.com. Mention Brian sent you. But Jim, it is my show. And we got to talk about Raw later because I know you watched it. Uh, yeah. But we're going to go slightly out of order because Dynamite aired last night as we are recording right now. We don't have ratings yet. It was a hell of a spectacle. And I understand you did not see the whole show. I know I was, there's no way that I was going to watch that on Valentine's day night. And we are recording early and I've had other commitments this morning, such as sleep until eight o'clock in the morning. So we're going to, we're going to let the people know exactly what they tried to get away with on national television in its entirety on the experience this week. Uh, because there were a lot of problems with the show, but one thing. Oh, when do you see been... the main event? You have no idea. When do you see the main event? Oh God! I hope. I wish your DVR would record the overrun just for the outrage. Uh, well, uh, well, I'm sure it didn't, but I'll I'll try to find a clip of the outrage. Um, it was pretty outrageous from the parts that I saw. Getting to the one segment that has triggered my continued popularity today. And let me just say this as, as before we tell the people in detail what the hell went on here. I would love to take credit for everything. I'd love to be like shit stain as I created water, bro. 
It was dry without me until I came around. I created it. I would love to take credit for everything. But just because maybe I'm the most high-profile person saying these things, it's not, and I'm not trying to steal anybody's material because there's some things that are empirically, objectively, observably obvious, correct? And one of them that is not a, a hidden fact, something that we didn't create the earth-shaking revelation of, we just talked about because it's true, and they've never made any great effort to hide it, is that the buckaroos got all their fucking friends from school jobs in the big-time wrestling company when they found somebody that was rich enough and stupid enough to hire all those people that nobody else ever wanted. Brian, did we break this news to the world? Or was it already fairly common knowledge for anybody that wanted to pay attention and hadn't, you know, got their fucking various buckaroos' phalluses stuck in their mouths? They knew this, right, everybody? Well, I think people in the business knew this. Even some of the people turning a blind eye knew this. The general public may not have known it. Although they may have said, who are these people that are just showing well, up the on general this public, show? Yes, the general public didn't know who any of these fucking people were. But the smart fans... And still don't. Exactly. The smart fans, they kind of knew it too, because it was obvious. So, I, you know, like I said, I would love to take credit for, you know, breaking some new ground and, and exposing something that was completely unheard of. But no, everybody has known that was either in the business and wanted to be honest or as a smart enough fan on the internet that knew all the behind the scenes stuff. Exactly what this whole thing has been. They had their fucking click and, and they, along with Kenny and, you know, and Cody fell in that some kind of way with the bullet club when he was going around the world, reinventing himself so he could go back to the WWE and take over. And their friends and who they were. And then Tony Khan was gifted unlimited amounts of money by his father to have to start his dream. And he fell under the sway of these guys know what they're doing. And he let the only one that did get away more on that later. And now it is what it is. And they've seen through the douchebag brothers. They, that nobody gives a shit about the buckaroos anymore. And they were the, were the ones that plumbed the depths of nepotism and friend hiring to the deepest, right? So now they're trying to play on that to their dwindling audience because everybody they've got left kind of knows that they're douchebags that got all their friends' jobs and, and built a billionaire. Tony doesn't realize how bad it makes his company look. And they're acting like, or I'm sorry, and Uncle Dave is acting like that I'm the instigator of all of this talk that nobody else could see it in front of their very eyes unfold over the last few years. If it wasn't for that corn ant, nobody would be saying this shit. 
Well, that's the thing. If anyone tells the truth about AEW or some of the people in AEW, they get accused of being like Jim Cornette or copying Jim Cornette, not recognizing that the much smaller group that drinks the Kool-Aid of AEW or just really wants AEW to succeed past where they're going to succeed, both because of what AEW is and the people in AEW, it gets to be ridiculous. It's the smaller group pointing at everyone else who says the real stuff the much, much larger audience that says the real stuff. And it's somehow it's an insult that they're talking like Jim Cornette. It's an insult to some people. Uh, well, yeah. And, but then do we want to talk about what happened first? Or do we want to talk about uncle Dave just fucking really being pissed off about it and, and chastising his own children in public? Well, we should probably talk about the angle, but just in general, as we begin again, you're trending. A lot of it is probably because of, Things Darby Allen said in a promo last night. A lot of it is because Dave Meltzer specifically cited you <laughs> and Cornette vernacular as being the problem or one of the problems in last night's promo. And there were problems in last night's promo. There was problems. There was problems. Uh. And, you know, I think WrestleTalk went with an image. They like, had Dave's quote, and it was an image of Cody and Jim Cornette. So <laughs> everyone is talking about you, even though you were celebrating Valentine's Day watching Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, I was watching Alfred Hitchcock, and not even the Heyman version. But anyway, so, obviously we know what's happened in AEW over the last several weeks. Sting's retirement is coming up in first week of March in Greensboro. It's their biggest crowd that they're going to draw domestically this year, I think it would be safe to say at this point. And it's the one thing that they've been able to get people interested in. And whether he asked for them to be his opponents or not, well, of course, you know, here's this fucking guy retiring and he's been paid a ton of money by this company. And they I'm sure the buckaroos have been groveling to him talking about how great he was ever since that they've been there, what they say behind his back, who knows, but at least to his face. But for the demand of no one, the buckaroos have involved themselves in Sting's retirement match. And apparently for no reason other than I can't imagine how the fuck that they will win the tag titles from Sting and Darby Allen. But the tag team titles have become involved. The buckaroos had to come back as douchebags. First, they dressed in black and white spy versus spy. Now they've, then they did the Don Johnson. And his sidekick, whatever that guy's name was, Miami Vice fucking uh, look with the pastel colors. And then they settled on solid white as an homage to Heyman hitting me over the head with the phone 35 years ago. And the tag team titles now had to come to the Buckaroos so that they could have a tag team title match. The theory that Sting and Darby are going to win them in their last match. I don't know what the fuck, but they did an angle. At least they tried to do an angle last week to make people interested. The sight of these two 40 year old grade school students wielding baseball bats was still phony and unpalatable to the general public. But the Buckaroos come out with the baseball bats after the Sting and Darby have won the tag team championship from Starks and Big Bill. 
And they not only beat up Darby and bust him open and his blood is all over their white suits, but they beat up Sting's sons. And both these guys, Sting's sons, dwarfed the buckaroos and and they don't know how to work, so they couldn't really do much, but they, they beat them up and they beat up Sting, the legend, the icon. It's about to have his last match. And they ruined their tag team title victory. And that was at least an angle. If it had been done with somebody that, you know, people might give a shit about instead of the buckaroos, it would probably be, wow. And, you know, but it's them trying, whatever the fuck. But still, all the take 15,000 tickets are sold and they're going to sell a bunch of pay-per-views because it's Sting's last match. But these douchebaggy little weasels have gotten involved. And so now they have an opportunity on this week's program. The Buckaroos go out and they beat the Martin Brothers, what, Top Light? Top Flight. What? Top Flight. Top Light. Top Light, whatever. <laughs> With old Action Andretti in their corner. Remember when Jericho made him the modern-day fucking superstar? They beat them wrestling in the bloody white suits and being douchebag heels, but it went 15 minutes. They still, they still have to, it went 15 minutes. And then Tony Schiavone gets in the ring with the buckaroos and are going to do an in-ring interview. And what this was, as we'll break it down here for everybody here shortly, was middle school children trying to play chess. They know that the cute little horsey is one of the big pieces, but they're not sure exactly how it moves. They're trying to get heat with a worked shoot, ladies and gentlemen, where you apply things that the most of the fans know from real life have happened, are legitimate, are true, and you're trying to apply them to the working situation to sell tickets and pay-per-views and draw money. That's the concept of at least the modern wrestling business, right? Brian, we've talked about it many times. Have an element of reality in what you're doing. Right. Peel back a little of the curtain. That's right. But here's the thing. You're supposed to do that to increase interest in an issue or in a match. You're supposed to do it to... An example of that would have been after Brawl Out if they'd have actually had a six-man tag team match with Punk and his known good friends FTR against the Buckaroos and their known good friend Kenny, where people from the internet knew they had gotten in a real legitimate fight. And then you could say they're going to face each other on fucking such-and-such such goddamn World's End pay-per-view or whatever. And then you could have had them as douchebag EVPs dealing with the biggest star in the company. Then you would have yes, had some dynamic. Sort of like what they got going on now with the battle of the board of directors guy and the fucking chief content officer and the battle of the fucking Game of Thrones amongst the top stars in the WWE trying to jockey for position as things are changing and people are being injured and scandal ridden and everybody's fucking buying their tickets and seeing their pay-per-views because nobody knows what's going to happen with all these fucking stars but over here on the other side 
Yeah, after brawl out, you have a six-man tag, you say on TV, they got in a fight in the locker room, and now we're going to let them settle it. Who knows what's going to happen in the ring, and then you get the intrigue and you get the interest. That's a work shoot. And if everybody's agreed to work together, that is, it's a work shoot. But you don't work shoots to call attention and put spotlight on the company's biggest flaws and the biggest problems with the talent and or the booking and or the whole reason why that the TV show that they do sucks a big giant donkey cock. Those are not the things you're supposed to call attention to, are they? Uh, for the record, it's dynamite, not Donkey Kong. <laughs> donkey Kong. Donkey? What did Donkey Kong? <laughs> no, that's right. That's right, and that's the thing. They're leaning into everything now, and now is too late. And they also don't know well, how to capitalize. But it's the wrong shit. It. It's also the wrong shit. Because in, I still wouldn't have if they had the brawl out work shoot. If I was Tony Khan, I would have not had them say, well, go out and say the the Bucks are douchebag EVPs and that's why they hired all their friends and they put goofs on TV, which we'll get to in a second, which is basically what one of their baby faces is about to say. Not all that shit. Say that no, Tony Khan, when he started AEW, he wanted to sign the elite. They were hot on the independent scene. They were hot in Japan. They were whatever the fuck build them up and said to do that. He made the concession that these two little fucking immature fucking blowhards would be EVPs in the company. And now it's coming back to haunt him because the EVPs hate his biggest star. And there is the Game of Thrones. These two douchebags that you put in the office somehow because that would have made them halfway believable against Punk, who could, who could and did knock both of them out practically with one shot apiece. Um, with one arm, with a torn tricep. Uh, but but then they've got the the office pull, and then Tony could be trying to well keep him away from television. But you know what I'm saying? Instead of saying no. They're EVPs who are these smarmy assholes all of a sudden out of nowhere because they haven't been presented that way most time for the last five years. And they're doing stupid phony shit and like, you know, finding production assistants $500 for not calling them by their name. They don't know how to get heat. This is their, it's a failed attempt to do a work shoot, but it's just exposing them as the annoying, whiny little fucking cretins that they are. And they do sophomoric shit. They come out here in this interview with Shivani, and they, they push Shivani down on his ass, an old man, and then they're going to help him up, but are they going to give him the V-trigger? And they've already fined him $1,000 for disparaging them. And it's fucking, nobody believes this shit's really happening. And there's and they don't even want anybody to because if they're even, I don't know the if they have the cognitive ability of a fucking high school senior, they then they know that everybody knows that all this shit is obviously childish and goofy, and not meant to captivate an adult's attention, but just to be Indian outlaw because that's where they are at. So then they make it all funny, and then 
as they're going to give Tony the double knee lift, here comes Darby down with his baseball bat and Maddie and Nikki scatter. And then Darby does the promo. But he doesn't talk about it either. You've either got to go in story with your television presentation or you've got to do a worked shoot that, as I said before, that people give a shit about and know there might be something real about it. But you don't, you don't do a worked shoot in the middle of those two things and fucking tell everybody why that the fucking company sucks and the show sucks. He Darby did not mention last week you busted me open with your baseball bat. Well, I got one now. And now my blood's all over your suits and I'm going to fucking get even for it. And Sting, you, you put him down, but he's not out. He's going to be there at Revolution because he hadn't forgotten what you did to his sons, their chance to see their father win one more title before he retires. And you not only beat him up, beat them up, but you beat him up right in front of them. So you better get used to the feeling or the look of blood on your clothes by the time we get finished with you. He didn't say any of that. I didn't think that was appropriate. I think it was more appropriate to talk about the dream of AEW, which is what Darby did talk about. I I wrote some quotes. He said, what was our mission statement? We wanted, AEW wanted to change the world. And Darby said he begged these two nitwits for a job. So now one of your top baby faces said, I, I begged you for a job. I begged you for a job, but I had to watch all your, this is a quote, shit friends get hired. The California crew, he's telling the truth, it's a shoot, but it's not meant to fucking make the company look good. So Tony Khan was an idiot, and he said, He actually said, the first episode of AEW, I wasn't on the show, this is Darby, I wasn't on the show, Brandon Cutler was. And he said, what the, and then pulled his own microphone. He's telling people that Tony Khan allowed these two to put jokes on his national television show because they went to school with the buckaroos. And Darby said, thank God there was an EVP here with a brain that signed me, not Kenny Omega. And the fans start chanting for Cody. That's amazing. Cody, Cody. Now let's stop right there because that's an extraordinary moment. Again, everything he's saying is true. Whether he should be saying it in this moment is another thing. I'm pretty sure he shouldn't. And there's no way you couldn't have thought this would have been a reaction. He shouldn't have set it up so that the biggest babyface in WWE had his name chanted on dynamite on their television, on their network. And that's yes, because there was only four of these EVPs, at least to public knowledge, who knows? Tony may have handed them out like fucking Halloween candy. But when he narrowed it down between not them and not Kenny, and it's true. Because Cody was the one that was trying to sign a lot of the actual kind of legitimate talent that they ended up with at some point. Many of whom may either already be in motion or about to fucking depart. You know, stay tuned for all that news. 
But then Darby says, this is not all elite wrestling. It's all friendship wrestling. Which is, uh, again, where I come in. Oh, that, Uncle Dave will tell you, oh, that's that cornet, you know, talking. And honestly and truthfully, you know, what do they... they that's what other people have been saying. If you go and look at Twitter comments of a lot of this gaga, you find that there are very many people that have smartened up to this. And so, but there's, and finally, after all of this, where the Maddie and Nikki are standing back there in their tampon costumes on the on the aisle way listening to all of this and Darby is venting his spleen telling the public and a national television audience on their own television program what the fuck really is wrong with AEW for real and then to promote the match the main event at the pay-per-view that he's in he says so it's going to be you guys and me and Sting for the tag team title. It's showtime and that was it on the match. You work into your programs real life that people what what Jerry Jarrett one of his quotes to me was you tell the people the truth as long as you can so that when you start working they don't know where you made that turn. I know this to be true. I know this to be true. I know this to be true. Well, the other one, I guess I, you blur lines, whatever, but you don't tear your company down by admitting its biggest weaknesses, especially because the biggest thing with, with Maddie and Nikki is they're playing a part. That's what it is to them. That's what it is to all these indie wrestlers that got into this because it was cool and they were sleeping in their fucking cars anyway, right? That's how, that's the modern of indie level mindset that, that many of the social circle of Maddie and Nikki and the trampoline cowboys of all stripes get it. Well, it's And they're playing parts and they're, they're not the Lawrence Olivier's and Meryl Streep's of their generation. Well, the problem is more they want to be the Jerry Lewis of their generation. They want to be the big star. Then move to France. They want to be the big star, but they want to only be the big star in their own things. That's why they never really do anything that's company-wide that helps the company. It's always, here's what we feel like doing now with who we feel like doing it with. Nothing ever makes sense. The, look, AEW has a company-wide problem with nothing in the booking ever being followed up on. But the Young Bucks have been there since day one. We always say this, and the answer keeps swinging the same way. Do they mean as much today as they meant five years ago before they were on national TV? No. Or do they mean less? They mean people are now finally, well, not finally. Some people have seen it all along, but more and more people are seeing it. And even some finally, because you can't help it. No. What do they do? They've got nothing else to offer. They do the fucking. Flippy little they things do they do in thing. the match. They do their thing. They People let them do their thing because they can't do it unless everybody's letting them do it to them and around them and whatever. Go bending over backwards to do the, let them do their shit. You know, that's what we started hearing, if you remember, out of Ring of Honor. 
when their business was going up and was all the bucks, we started hearing from people, yeah, they only want to do their thing. It's not about Ring of Honor. They'll abandon this place like yesterday's news. They just want to do their thing with their friends. And when they do that initially, because people, oh, holy shit. And then it's like, well, yeah, the stupid pet tricks. It's funny when you got a human host, but just to sit there and watch the dogs do the same shit endlessly, it's, you know, it it, is, and that's, they're playing parts and. That's why they can't do any character development. That's why it never comes across real. It always comes across like two guys putting on a show, playing a role. Because they can't do it. They just because, and they, and, but they think they, they think they can act. See, they think they're actors also. They'll change their demeanors and they'll... But anyway, so nobody buys them. It's fucking hogwash. It wasn't for... A, it, they've never been suited for a television product in any kind of prominent spot for the indies because the indie crowds would get together and want to see all the flips and all the crashing through furniture. And they like... The idea of these jokers wandering around the country, going to these indie shows and shooting it on YouTube. And then it's like you grow up and move on with your life and the pet rock is not as cute as it used to be. It doesn't last because it's not real and there's no applicable purpose for it. It was just shit you were looking at. So at any rate, these guys are main event wrestlers in a major... Uh, well, let me say a company with a major budget because Tony Khan likes them and lets them do what they want, hire their friends and lets them do what their indie friends want. And that's why the show sucks. And well, one of the main reasons the talent, uh, Tony's booking is another story, but I'm not sure doing a, a program based on, yes, our show sucks because of these two guys is the way to sell more tickets, is it? Well, the other problem is you have Tony Khan on the show making big announcements. You have Tony Khan being mentioned by Excalibur or Shivani. Oh, he's in our headset. He's just made a big announcement. If he runs the company, why is he putting up with heel EVPs? Yes. Walking around on camera, finding people for no reason. Can't think, can't one of them say, well, I'm just going to go to Tony Khan and and I'm sure he'll tell me, no, I don't have to pay it. What are they going to say to that? On live on what on live TV? What about if one of these little fucking pricks said, "Well, I'll fine you five hundred dollars for not calling me Matthew." What if the guy just came back at him and said, "I'll just go to Tony Khan, who's a nice guy, and he'll he'll tell me I don't have to pay it." What are you going to do about that? What's the answer? There is no answer. Well, there you go. So somebody ought to do that to these little munchkins on live television. See what they fucking say about it. Maybe they might want to storm into your locker room. If they didn't learn their lesson last time, somebody else could fucking dot their I and cross their T for them. These guys just wanted to do their own thing, and they also wanted to have their influence all over that show. In one way or another, (laughs) they ran off Cody Rhodes and they ran off CM Punk. Look at what they're involved with now. Look at what Jade Cargill's involved with now. (laughs) Meanwhile, on this show... You have minor league shit in the main events. You have no stars, with the exception of one or two people. The crowds are not really that good, but they keep doubling down on this shit. And at some point, look, the Bucks will lose some influence with Tony again at some point soon. Maybe Jericho picks up some influence. You never know. 
It's the same characters at all times, and then you get a Brian Danielson thrown in the mix. But this isn't going to work. The Bucks. I mean, the, the Bucks fans just have to accept who the Bucks are, and what the Bucks are is a mid-card act at impact. In 2024, that's what they are. There you go. And they're being presented now as serious EVPs. Paul Levesque could pull off that EVP shit. You know what I mean? No one buys it with these two. You have to convince. They are EVPs, and you have to try to convince people they really are that it's well, not a gimmick. It, because it's so preposterous, because on the face of it, if you're a just a, a level-headed person, look at these two as, as say EVPs, pro wrestlers, tag team champions, pro athletes, anything. No, you can't. You can't buy it. With Cody, you could buy EVP. With these, no, you can't with these two. Well, like you said, with Triple H, yes, you can. No, you can't with it's, and their their entire personalities is the antithesis of somebody that you'd want to see on television for any length of time or or it's the antithesis of a heel that you would want to have heat on your television you just don't want this yeah the problem is tony khan has never been able to sit the bucks down and say look i'm paying you a lot of money way too much money you guys brag about it now you have to do something right and you have to do what I want. Problem is what Tony may want. He's a moron when it comes to wrestling booking. I hear he's very, very bright. Otherwise. Well, now they've put themselves in a position where, as we talked about last week, in their main event of the biggest crowd they're going to draw in the United States this year, and probably interest on pay-per-view, either Sting and Darby Allen are going to win the match and retire as tag team champions. And we got another tournament or Sting's going to somehow, even if Darby eats the fucking double shitty knee lift, Sting's going to lose his last match and lose the tag team titles to these two. Isn't that going to get the wrong kind of heat and potentially turn off anybody who wanted to see this show to see Sting's retirement? If they're fans of Sting, they were fans of 80s, 90s wrestling, 2000 wrestling even, but they they don't want to see the, the fucking epitome of modern pussy wrestlers. Maddie and Nikki beat Sting in his retirement match. So I don't know how the fuck they can, they can book matches where no matter what their fucking finish is, they come out looking worse, but they do it regularly. Hey, listen, they followed up that big angle they did last week where these guys are covered in blood with a couple of silly segments of them walking around in the bloody suits, a match where they wrestled in that, and then they get run off by one of the guys they beat up who talks about the struggles he had in getting a job years ago. And then the segment just ends with it's showtime, they play music, and that's it. These guys beat the shit out of Sting and his kids. And then they just walked off. That was the end of the segment. They followed up on nothing. You can't even say that was a hot angle anymore last week because of the way they treated it this week. So yeah, they don't understand heat, how to manage it, how to get it, what to do with it. So I have no doubt in my mind that one of the options is them beating Sting to get major heel heat and setting up the next era of AEW, which is the heel champion EVPs. Here's a question I've got, and then uh, I got to find out more on what 
because Uncle Dave finally had to take the kids to the woodshed publicly. But um, do you think that Maddie and Nikki realize that they are indeed not well thought of these days and that nobody's watching them and nobody wants to watch them and nobody wants to see this fucking match, but they've convinced Tony that this is going to get a ton of heat? Or do you think they're convinced themselves that this is a brilliant presentation of them that's going to get a ton of heat? Or do you, or like I said, do you think they're smart to it, but they've convinced Tony? A little bit of everything. And again, Sting did ask for it, apparently. Also... Well, but I don't know if he asked for him to fucking come out and take a baseball bat to his sons, or just was this the goddamn opponents that he requested? I don't know, but I do think that they think their stuff is always good. That's why so much bad comedy, so many bad segments, badly filmed segments have gotten on Dynamite over the years, not even talking about matches, just backstage segments. It's because they have bad sensibilities and they're in the lame shit and they don't know how to produce good stuff and they don't know how to do anything that... They know how to do the type of wrestling where everyone is a real person playing a goofy character on a goofy show. They don't know how to do it where you don't know where the real person ends and the character begins. Yeah. And everything they do comes across as pretentious and fake but you know they have their fans it's a smaller fan base than ever before but at this point you have to face reality you guys drummed up a bunch of hype about two guys who can't do it and that's the thing it's not just that they can't do it and it's not just that i promise i'll say this we can move along it's not just they can't do it and it's not just that their audience is dwindling that likes to see them do it. This is the kind of shit, their style of shit, their look of wrestler, their approach to wrestling is the reason why that most people don't want to watch AEW that would watch the other show because it's so minor league. It's so silly or so phony or so childish or the, the visually the talent looks ridiculous or it's just, meaningless, repetitive fucking car crash bullshit. It's not just that they're not drawing, they're driving people away. And again, with the Bucks, look at everything everyone said was going to be a hot thing. That third FTR match, no one gave a shit. The feud with the BCC, did that matter? Does anyone want to pretend now that that mattered? They've done nothing in forever. And their one chance to do a character revamp. They could have done it serious. Let your real feelings out. Let your anger towards people with cornet vernacular out. Instead of doubling down on a silly gimmick, playing on something that happened a few years ago where you guys got your ass kicked by someone who's not even in the company. So you can't capitalize on it. Well, they weren't going to say anything until Punk was safely away. Well, we'll talk more about another angle on this in a second. You brought up Dave Meltzer, but when you look at the Bucks, Matt and Nick, do you think maybe they could use a good talking to from our friends over at Harry's about that facial hair they got going on? Boy, howdy, what a transition, folks. But as normal, even though I'm slightly under the weather today, I'll try to make something out of it. You know, the thing about our friends at Harry's, Brian, you know this very well that 
a lot of guys, and we have we have a lot of males out there in the audience. We have a lot of females. We have a lot of a lot of people in general, males, females, and people. But a lot of the males out there, and this got worse during the pandemic. Let's say you're shut in the house. You don't necessarily want to spend a lot of money just making yourself look good or smell good or whatever. And of course, if they're fans of the Buckaroos, Brian, male fans of the Buckaroos, they probably haven't got any women in the house. So there's no females going to see you. So men have tended to let their appearances go over the past few years. You've heard about this trend. It's been on the news. Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean, but people have a lot of facial hair nowadays. Yes. Well, it costs more and more to... What do you mean to have a lot of facial hair nowadays? Well, there was a period where it was completely... Have you ever seen a picture of a caveman? Well, there was a time where it was completely out of fashion. No, I've got an autographed picture of a caveman on my wall, and he had facial hair even then. But there was a time when when people groomed themselves, yes, but now you're just sprouting all over the place, and we've got... Friends in, in high places that can take care of your nether regions, but your face, and I'm not talking about your butt, talking about butt, your face is right there out in front of the public. And if you do leave your house or you do tend to come in contact with some female member of society, you want to try to clean most of the muck off your face, right? That was not a rhetorical question. I, I would assume so, yes. You got to get the muck off your face. Well, that's where our friends at Harry's come in. Because if you've been one of these people say, I don't want to spend all the money that it costs, you know, you go to the supermarket and you get, you try to get in that case, it's like getting into Fort Knox, and then they got to use the crowbar at the cashier desk, have you gone through this, to pry the fucking alarm thing off that you'll be electrocuted if you carry it through their fucking doors? Have you seen that thing? I have an idea of what you're talking about, yes. It's a big pain in the ass. So a lot of people have just decided to look like this fucking picture of the caveman over here. And no, no, you don't have to do that because Harry's will give you a great shave and a great shaving experience without shelling out all kinds of hard-earned money. It's a mere bag of shells, a fraction of the price of the other big brands. You know who the big brands are. I don't need to name the big brands. Because they wouldn't be big brands if you didn't know who they were. But you know what they do? They fuck you, ladies and gentlemen. They charge you an arm and a leg just to try to look like a human being. Not the people at Harry's. Because they don't want you to be Harry. I don't know if Harry's was started by a guy named Harry or if it's a play on words. But but nevertheless, they are dedicated to making you not Harry. With their fine shaving products and associated implements, the the razor we've talked about in the past with the weighted handle ergonomically designed so that you don't slice your carotid artery while you're trying to peer into the mirror with basically bad eyesight because you can't wear your glasses while you're shaving your face or elsewise they get all mucked up with the steam and or the goddamn shaving cream. And not only the razor, but the the cartridges, the refills. You're going to pay lower than half what you pay for other big brands, as low as $2. You're going to get a five-blade razor with the weighted handle. You're going to get foaming shave gel. You're going to get a travel cover for just $3. And you can renew as you like where they'll send it to your door. You don't have to go out to the supermarket and fill out a credit app or go through some kind of FBI background check. And 
Brian, have you smelled the richly lathering skin-softening body wash in scents like Redwood, Wildlands, and Stone? You too, ladies and gentlemen, can smell just like a rock or a tree. So right now, go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, slash J-C-E, and that's where you're going to get all of these big deals. Again, just $3 for the razor, the handle. The handle comes about with the razor. The foaming shave gel and the travel cover. Five blades for $3. That's less than a dollar a blade. And you can customize your delivery options and schedule refills as low as $2, which, good Lord, you only get a blade and a half for $2, the people I was using before. And you'll smell like a tree. And they've got hair grooming products and amazing smelling deodorant. Under, let's say you only want to spend $5 not to offend someone with the stench of your B.O., go to Harry's. Harry's.com slash J-C-E. Make your face look a little better. It's not plastic surgery, but do what you can. And, uh, and smell better while you're at it. That's right, Harry's. One more time, what's yes, that promo yes. code, Jim? Well, you can get started with the, and uh, did I mention the trial set is worth $13? You're going to get it for $3? Did I mention that? Well, I should have. Well, I will now. $13 trial set for $3 at harrys.com slash JCE. $3 set, it's worth $13. Well, that's just a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, and we certainly recommend Harry's for anyone who needs a good shave. And I wonder if they make cold medicine. I don't know about that, but whether you're talking about a good shave or talking about hair dye, whatever it may be, there's lots of grooming advice that wrestling fans can use. And on the topic of advice, Jim, a lot of the listeners have been sending it in this morning. Dave Meltzer apparently did not react well to the segment you just reviewed. You know, as I think instead of hair dye, I think he's gone straight to some type of chemical that's seeping into his skull. Uh, poor old uncle Dave had to, and of course he didn't want to come out and take the approach that I just did uh, moments ago when we were talking about the, uh, the interview with Darby Allen and the buckaroos and how stupid it was to tell the truth about the company, which is why people don't like it. He had to chastise the kids, but he couldn't come out and say that it was because he was mad because they were telling the truth. He was mad because they didn't follow up on that really great angle. He said, well, when he left the, was he there live? He, didn't he say when he left the building last week or when the show was over or whatever, he thought, wow, that was a great angle. And then they didn't follow up on it. And of course they didn't. We just said they didn't, but his bone of contention as to why it was a bad promo was just that they didn't follow up on it, not that they did the exact opposite of what they should have done and told the truth about their company. He can't admit that part, that it's the truth. So he had to say, they used the cornet vernacular. That's the stuff that cornet says. Yeah, that, that truthiness stuff. But he did say... It, and that in some way they were trying to make me the baby face. 
it, it, I kind of already am to normal people. But if Dave, by your own logic, then if they were trying to make me the baby face with this, baby faces tell the truth, right? So if Darby was trying to make me the baby face by telling the truth about the but then doesn't that mean that Dave agrees with me? Brian, help me. I may be under the influence of cold medication. Dave seemed to have two big problems. One, the lack of proper follow-up to what he perceived or what other fans may have thought was a hot angle. It was certainly an attempt for one, and there was certainly very little follow-up that was appropriate. The other problem he had was the idea that Darby went out there in a promo didn't really cite any of those things last week, instead did a promo telling the truth about behind-the-scenes <laughs> stuff using Jim Cornette vernacular. And, and he did recognize also that it's not a thing that they would have wanted to, and what would, else would you expect to have Cody's name chanted on their television program? He, he obviously cited that. Yeah, the problem is Dave is one of the few people still hanging on to not really reporting the truth about what happens behind the scenes in AEW and the personality conflicts, who's causing the problems, the root of problems. And in that world, the young bucks are the eternal baby faces. Kenny Omega's a saint. And for anyone, even in character or on a wrestling show, to use any of the real stuff against them is really bad. Because all the other stuff has worked so well. <laughs> no, I think, Why? again, I think there's a lot of people who hyped up the Young Bucks and they deserved a lot of credit for what they were able to do for their business on the indies. And since the beginning of AEW, it would be near impossible for someone to convince me that they have been of value for the money they're getting and for the effort they put forth into anything that isn't what they wanted to do to begin with. I think you would have to, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me they've been worth a lot less than the money they've been given. And and again we're not going to we're not going to beat them up again because we're beating Dave up here. It you know he's actually had to come out and this is I think the sternest. You could tell he was kind of pissed. He was like a really a a disappointed father if that father had a real stick up his ass and wasn't going to allow any kind of shenanigans from his kids. Um, but he's pissed that they can't get their shit together, and even he knows now that they're not getting it together and that they need to get it together, and he's watching them in real time lose more grip of it instead of getting it together. There have been so many bad moments and bad matches and bad angles and promos in AEW, a lot of Jericho shit, that Dave never properly called out. The way he, and I say properly called out, the way he would have called out anything bad on any wrestling show up until the advent of AEW. Never called out any of it. There was, I well, think, well, there was Jer a, Jer Jericho and Takeshita. See, I don't want you getting mad at four me. Four and Dave. a quarter stars. Four. Well, I thought it was four and a half. No, four and a quarter. It wasn't four up to four and a half standards. It was four and a quarter. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that TV match where poor Takeshita had to 
slow down for Jericho so he wouldn't, you know, fucking have a stroke is better than Flair and Steamboat. So Dave's frustration comes from the fact that, you know, this is the group of people that would listen to him and be hypersensitive to the Dave comments and narrative more than anyone else. And he has, in his weird attempts at tough love, (laughs) made other comments about things, whether it's Tony's booking or anything else. But he never goes full blast like he would at WWE in the past or, again, any other company ever. AEW's gotten a pass on that. The frustration you saw is someone who realizes he can't keep up this fight. You can't keep insisting that the shit in front of you isn't shit. You can't keep hoping, well, maybe it'll turn into a different kind of shit. Maybe a mushroom will come out of the shit. (laughs) No, it's shit. Maybe it's just poorly made chocolate pudding. Who thought they were going to ever do, whether it's the Young Bucks or anyone in that company, who thought they were going to do a hot angle and follow it up well the next week? What in AEW history, other than Punk and MJF, what in AEW history has ever told you week to week storyline building and following up with the appropriate seriousness for top angles was a thing they were going to do? They've never done that. They've never succeeded at that. They've always failed at that. And now it happened with his favorites. And in the midst of this, they're being slapped in the face with the reality that a lot of people want to pretend isn't there. That's why Dave reacted the way he did. He was indignant. He was indignant that these things should be said out loud. These are the things that should never... Well, yeah, I agree with you, Dave. They should never be said out loud on their own television show because they're the truth. They did call attention to many of the problems. They called attention to probably, when we find out however many years down the road, why Cody decided to depart when he did, because he saw in some fashion what was going on with these people, and he saw he was capable of more. We just don't know the exact... With Cody, not to take away from any of the drama and behind-the-scenes shit between him and the Elite, or him and his camp and Omega, whoever it may be, at the end of the day, it was Tony Khan and Cody having an issue. But all those things led up to it. Yes, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, that it was the direction that everything was going that Cody could see, well, what the fuck? I've, you know, I've staked a lot on this. And, and Tony's the guy that ultimately is steering the ship. But nevertheless, um, so that's, uh, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm glad we agree on something finally after all this time about AEW. I've, I'm sorry it has to be that your your best friends are douchebags, but but I agree with you. No, they shouldn't have said any of those things and they shouldn't have handled this that way because all it did was make the company look bad. And they seem to be able to do that pretty much once a week for the last couple months in some fashion or another, make their own selves look bad. Sorry it didn't work, Dave. You wrote an obituary for Jim. You tried to write him off. You said he was out of touch. You said that anyone who's not with his new stuff, specifically the Buck stuff and Omega, is out of touch. It's years later now. Who's out of touch and with who? How many Observer readers didn't resubscribe when the print edition stopped? Who's how out many of touch? How many of our YouTube clips do higher numbers than their goddamn Saturday night national cable shows? Yeah, you lost. You lost the argument. Everything you thought you were advocating for failed. Just man up to it. Own up to it. 
The Bucks weren't the right people for this. But he doesn't have to. But it's not his fault. It's not his fault. They suck. It's just his fault that he won't honestly say they suck. He doesn't have to man up to anything. He just has to say, you know what? They had a lot of potential, but this shit went south, and Tony's not a booker or a leader, and these guys aren't mainstream talent or whatever. Be critical and observe it like a journal. Observe it like a journalist. But we even saw this last week with that story we did about Chris Jericho being the highest paid person in AEW. Dave's argument was, Chris Jericho is the highest paid person there. He shouldn't be doing jobs that mean nothing to people like, specifically in this case, Takeshita. My argument would be, Dave should be saying, why the fuck is Tony Khan paying Chris Jericho more than everyone else? How is this justified based on the work? And, oh my God, the years of future television we have while this contract plays out. Well, and and Dave didn't say anything incorrect. He applied it in an incorrect fashion. Nobody should be doing meaningless jobs. If if it doesn't have some meaning somewhere in the scheme of things, why even have the fucking match to begin with? And it wasn't a meaningless job to put over a guy like Takeshita the way they did it and the fucking presentation of it and the television show it was in or the build to it or whatever, that can all be called into question. But to do it, that he probably is the, one of the handful of guys that Jericho should put over. Because it's building because he's 52. I know he signed a 10-year contract. But does anybody want to see Jericho when he's 58 wrestling on television? So... The point is, he ain't going to get any more over than he is right now, Jericho. And he's been more over than he is right now in the past. But hes it's not going to put him over or get him over anymore to win matches. He doesn't need to lose to everybody because then it devalues a guy that can put a few people over and make it mean something. But how are you going to have a fucking program with anybody at a main event level if somebody doesn't beat Jericho, so Jericho can come back and beat them. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. And for those diehard Observer supporters, and not everyone who reads it is crazy. I mean, you hear about people on that message board, then you go look, and it's just the craziest of people. And those are the moderators. Just the wimpiest of fans. But you say things are out of touch. You try to point things out. How's the Observer business doing? You know, for anyone who wants to say, you guys need AEW. Eh, check the numbers and the downloads and get back to me. They need us more than we need AEW. Dave needs AEW. Dave doubled down on AEW the same way he did UFC when he thought WWE would be a monopoly forever and he may run out of things to cover. So whenever anyone wants to look at the reasoning behind things, the motivation behind things, Dave Meltzer needs AEW. We don't. And because of that, there's a level of protection there that you're not going to get here. It sounds like a condom commercial. Well, Jim, speaking of protection, let's stay on the topic of AEW, another clip that was not on Dynamite, so let's talk about this. <sighs> I have not seen the full match. I'm sure it was a banger. Sammy Guevara and Jeff Hardy were inexplicably booked <laughs> in a singles match <laughs> to air on one of the B or C shows, and a viral clip has gone around. Have you seen it? Yes, unfortunately I have, and I think it was for Rampage, so it wasn't even the B show, it was the C show. 
Jeff Hardy versus Sammy Guevara, and there's a couple of different fan cam uh, verge clips out there on the internet. I, as we speak, the television program that this is allegedly shot for has not aired yet. They may not. Would they show this? <laughs> I can understand if it was live, there wouldn't be anything you could do about it, but I'd take this whole fucking thing out uh, because apparently whatever they had done to this point, Sammy Guevara climbs to the top rope while Jeff Hardy is laying there and Sammy is going to do the the backflip. What is that the shooting star press where he does a backflip off the top and lands with a splash on the poor victim beneath? What you described is indeed the shooting star press. Okay. Well, they should have shot the star instead of fucking doing this move to him. It would have been less painful because Sammy jumps off, does the backflip. And I guess in the spot, Jeff was going to raise his knees up <laughs> so that Sammy's splash would be foiled and Sammy could sell it and Jeff could make a comeback or whatever. So they can't even, they got to add layers of difficulty. It's not bad enough. I'm going to lay here motionless while this fucking moron climbs up the top rope and it tells everybody he's crazy. Well, if he's crazy, why am I, what am I for laying here underneath him? <laughs> the, whole time, the whole time I'm wondering, what is Jeff Hardy thinking as this yes. is happening? And he's going to do a backflip, and then I'm going to raise my knees so that he can sell that, even though he can barely see. He can't see until he's a millisecond away from me because he's doing a backflip, and he's looking up the ceiling. So Sammy lands his chest on the knees and his knees on Jeff Hardy's fucking face. And just, bam, just a, not a knee lift, but a knee not even a knee drop, a, a leg, a knee and thigh drop to Jeff Hardy's face across the side of his head. And the whole place went, oh, shit, instantly. And Matt is <laughs> at ringside, and you see him go, oh, shit. And I think in one of the angles, you can see him kind of yelling in there like, what the fuck, bro? Not his real bro, but the other bro, bro. Bobo, the bro, bro. And apparently they brought the doctor into the ring to check on him. And then I think they continued the match. He was bleeding from his face or whatever. Oh, but you would they? think I didn't I, know that somebody now see, we don't know yet because this was just, we're recording and this was just on the internet a couple hours ago, but this basically somebody summed it up on Twitter saying, this means that Sammy Guevara has given both Matt and Jeff Hardy brain damage. And I don't, what, I mean, you've heard me on the, on these shows say, what the fuck is the matter with these guys? They, in every match, dive, flip, dive, dive off this, dive over that. I think, yeah, dive is great. What about the elbows and the knees? What about the velocity of, of, of spinning? 200 pound human what if, if, if there's too much margin for error and all this stupid shit even if there's six guys waiting to catch somebody it's more dangerous for one of the guys waiting to catch a guy than it is for the guy doing the dive being caught because you don't have any way to control where your fucking shit goes and 
it's meaningless now. Everybody does them constantly. Everybody gets up from them. So except for the the potatoes, the ones that really land, and then they sometimes don't get up from that. Of course, whole match is fucked, but at least people believe that move was real. But it's meaningless. It's repetitive. It happens over and over. Bunch of children that look like they practiced the moves on the trampoline because that's what they did are doing it to the general public. They're going, well, it, look how skinny that guy is. He wouldn't hurt anybody. It, it, this is the complete polar opposite, the antithesis of what the wrestling business was founded on. Make it not hurt, look like it does from people who look like they could. And now people who look like they can't are doing shit that look like they're not, except when they fuck up and really do. And you're out of touch, Farmer Burns. But you know, and you could go back. I'm not okay. Let, people say Cornette stuck in the 80s when they had 15 minute headlocks. Oh, we had tons of those back then. Let's move up 15 years then. Let's go to the late 90s to the attitude era that everybody romanticizes. And I know there was a lot of chaos on WCW, and there was a lot of, and a lot of people were in the ring in WCW in that days when they were trying to fight back as the WWE was pulling away that should have been in the ring. But in the Attitude Era, on Raw or then SmackDown that debuted in 99 and continued in the early 2000s, or even in TNA, Impact of 2002 through 2008-9 whatever, with a lot more of the cruiserweights or the X division or whatever. Yes. Botches have always happened. Shit. It's not ballet. It, there is a risk of error. Shit can go wrong. Potatoes happen. But anybody, any independent minded person who just being objective and just looking at with no agenda just is this or is this not the case? How many multiple times, how much exponentially more botches or incidents or injuries or just goofy shit that they have to stop the match over, that people have to be checked out or that you get hurt or busted up? How many more times does that happen on television now from... Two companies, WWE and AEW, then happened with WWE's programs, TNA, Ring of Honor, for fuck's sake. Those guys were doing everything in the fucking sun. And I was trying to gear some of them back. And yet they had injuries, but there wasn't every show. It, it, guys that are and girls that aren't ready for the spot they're in, doing incessant shit. The greatest marksman in the world, you could be a fucking army sniper, shoot the balls off a fly from a mile away. But if you try to shoot that fly's balls a thousand times in a row, you're going to start missing balls. And they do so much so often that there's, and, and that they add in that they're not prepared for and that they shouldn't be trying anyway because they've just figured it out in their own demented minds because they saw it in a video game. And even if it's not going to be believable, even if even if people are going to sit there and say, oh, he was laying there waiting on it, or he was waiting to catch him, 
or whatever. They're going to do it because it looks cool. And they got to come up with something better than Commander did last week. Or fucking Gravity. Or goddamn Uranium. Or whatever their fucking name was. Is the problem, too, the expectation? Like, someone like Sammy Guevara, not justifying this move or anything, but if he's always been doing this shit, and now fans expect him to, is it hard for him as a wrestler to start cutting it out? Well, it shouldn't be, because he's going to make the same amount of money because he's under contract with Tony Khan, who fires no one. And at the same time, he's not over, and the people don't really fucking like him anymore, so it ain't going to make a goddamn difference if he doesn't try to kill himself in every fucking match. If he maybe figured out a way to cut promos and come up with a personality that the people were... The only, the only time the people liked him was when he wasn't acting like his real self. Once people see him exhibit some kind of his real self, he becomes a heel. And then they take him off TV or he's hurt long enough that they forget about it and they cheer for him a little bit when he comes back until they get sick of him. But no, what are you going to do in four years if if you've got to dive off the roof right now, you idiot? And that's expectation. You said when Chris Candido called me that time and said, can you come and work the ECW show? We need a surprise. We need a surprise. Why do you need it? Well, we have a surprise at every show. Then it's not really a surprise. What the nature of it is may be, but it, it, the definition of a surprise is an unexpected event. If you're expecting a surprise, you've already shut the bed. So that's what that's the position they put themselves in. Tony books himself in corners. And the the indie talent that wants to do the stunts paint themselves into a position where even if they win their match and beat a heel that maybe they had a goddamn issue with, the fans that, that do come to these shows now, they're down to those that will say, but he didn't do a fucking flip. So what? Well, like Sammy Guevara is a great example, though, because in a lot of respects... Compare him to Dominic Mysterio, someone who can't do all those flips, but got over because got over as a heel finally because he was a punchable guy and everyone thought he was despicable. Yes. Sammy was legitimately a punchable guy. The talent wanted to punch him. Yes. They never played into that really well on AEW TV. We talk about leaning into things like the Bucks should have done. Sammy Guevara, you had someone there who wrestlers wanted to kill. Why didn't they use that well? Yes, remember it says Sammy of the slappable face. Because they don't understand what other people see. They don't understand what normal people see. What people who are thinking logically see of them, they are wrapped up in that they're all superstars. Watts sent a memo out one time, uh, beginning, gentlemen, I know that all of you believe that you are superstars and quote-unquote the people know everything about you and everything you say and do. But the memo was about, if you're in a gimmick match, explain the fucking stipulations. If you've got a rivalry with somebody, remind the people why you're mad at them. That type of thing, logically, things that make sense. But you're if you're a superstar, everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's what Tony, everybody knows what I did on Rampage and YouTube and 
This six months ago, this fucking 30-second clip is now going to play into this goddamn triple threat tag team match I've got on Rampage because he's not only a mark, but he's a a, a specially numbers-oriented guy that likes a lot of statistics and information going around in his brain. And he can keep up with it so he thinks everybody can because it ain't that important to everybody except you, Tony. Well, before we uh, get past Rain Man here, you want to hear the results for Rampage since we're not going to watch it? Oh, sure. No DQ match. Sammy Guevara defeated Jeff Hardy. Dustin Rhodes and the Von Erichs. Russ uh, and Marshall defeated Hit, Romero Cruz, and Shimbashi. Wait, what? Start again. The, the opponents. Hit. Hit. Comma. Romero Cruz. And Shimbashi. Okay, well, a good, good match for those guys to get over. At, uh, yeah, it's a I good, guess. It's uh, a good post-Jeff Hardy concussion match, I think. <sighs> then, Queen Aminata defeated Anna Jay. Now, there's one I want to watch. And finally, Jim, a 12-man tag team match. <laughs> the Bang Bang Scissor Gang. Oh, good Lord. Defeated the Dark Order and Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. Wow. It was Singh's first match since September 2023. <laughs> and uh, hopefully the people are saying his last match until at least 2025. Have they gotten less out of their giant than Eligante, than WCW got out of Eligante? Oh, God, yes, because at least people remember the four words that he actually spoke, <laughs> I want the belt. I want the belt. It, it, I mean, that obviously the guy can't do anything or he would have been doing it by now, but still you could use just a human being of that size and just stand him in the right place and you ought to be able to get more out of him. But uh, it, it, that's he, they put that on national cable. That's all I've got to say. But Jim, one last thing on Dynamite. Apparently during this taping off air, I have an image here, the AEW roster on their stage. Dynamite 200 in very colorful graphics. Thank you, Tony Khan. <laughs> so a lot of the listeners have been sending this wanting to know your thoughts on AEW, specifically Tony Khan producing a graphic that says, thank you, Tony Khan. So that the audience could celebrate Tony, Tony Khan. Khan. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, and the talent was out there, right? Like the memorial gimmick. Is that is yeah. that what you're saying? They were paying their respects to their careers. <laughs> <laughs> because most of the talent looks like they're ready to be laid out and have words spoken over them. Um, and somebody again on uh, a, a number of people on Twitter and the internet brought this up in the WWE when they reach a big milestone they are smart enough to brag about it by thanking the fans for it. Right? We made a billion dollars at WrestleMania. Thank you, WWE Universe. So it shows how big their fucking throbbing, massive, erect dick is. But they're thanking the fans for the fluff job. They're bringing it right. It's all because of you guys. No way we'd have got this hard without your finger in our taint. In but your taint. In, well, in, in and around the taintal area. But with AEW, they they have to keep the angel happy. 
they had they found an angel, as good old Bert Prentice would say, and they got to keep him happy. I'm not saying that Tony said, tonight's number 200, I want a big graphic that thanks me. Everybody else came up with it, all the production people that are making a living there because the Tony Khan doesn't need to make money. And all the wrestlers that are making a living there because Tony Khan doesn't need to make money. They all, I'm sure, got together and said, hey, Tony, look what we're going to do. And Tony, because he's dreamed of this since he was but a wee little lad, just a wee little lad, wee-weeing in his own little bed. And then having Cadbury the butler come in and change the sheets. He's dreamed of this, and he wants the wrestlers to tell him that he books good, and he wants the wrestlers to tell him that they're his friends, and he wants the fans to tell him how much that they appreciate him bringing them the greatest wrestling they've ever seen. And, and also, it's vindication that when he was writing for his two other friends, and believe me again, for the new folks, we're not making this up. This is from Tony. When he booked Dynamite, when he was a teenager for his two other friends in the fantasy booking message board thingy, now he's getting these people to thank him for doing it for real. So instead of our 200th episode of Dynamite, thank you, AEW fans, for sticking with us all this time. Well, I guess that'd be a lie. They didn't stick with them. They've lost a few hundred thousand. But thank you to the fans or thank you to the viewers or giving the public hope that something may be worth a shit, they thank Tony Khan. Because that makes Tony happy. And when, as, you know how Vince Sr. used to say, uh, as goes the garden goes the business? Well, now it's as goes Tony goes the business. He's the only one needs to be happy. He's the only one that needs to want it to continue. And it will, no matter what the fans or the other wrestlers or us or anybody else says about it. And, but there's a lot of, uh, we're not just talking about wrestlers. Somebody sent, I don't, I think this was a combination dynamite and rampage taping or dynamite, whatever they do on the Wednesday nights. But somebody sent a video out on Twitter here. This was several weeks ago of the, AEW television, I guess, hotel parking lot because they were at a hotel and they started panning the video and they had literally a dozen 18-wheeler semi-trucks all painted with the AEW talent and the AEW logos and everything. So it's not like they contracted allied van lines to fucking move their TV equipment. All they've got a dozen fucking trucks and they bring a dozen trucks full of shit to these NBA sized arenas and set it all up. And the crew that that takes and the fucking time and the expenditure and the fucking effort to draw 2,500, 3,000 people in a 20,000 seat building and to do a television show that, except on Wednesday nights, as we mentioned, has about the same number of viewers as a lot of our YouTube clips. And it, it's it, 100 and however many talents at last count on the roster. I hate, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but as a 
as a former promoter and somewhat of a student of the industry for some time, the overhead and the expenditures and the the cost of all of this has to be insane. It's it's not a business. It's a traveling goddamn Grateful Dead show where one guy's bankrolling everything and everybody's just along for the fucking ride. Well, we shall see if Tony finds his pig pen. <sighs> but Jim, what Tony can find when he gets home finally on his doorstep would be a box of awesome. Okay. <laughs> Leave it to me again, ladies and gentlemen, to turn this into uh, a description that you will love. And you will, uh, you know, you you always want awesomeness in your life, Brian. I think we can agree on that. You want some awesomeness. Yeah. But if you know, if you know the awesome that's coming at you, then sometimes it's not so awesome. But if 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 the awesome comes at you when you least expect it, then it's even more awesome. And that's why it's always a pleasure because you're having a bad day and and maybe you've got the creeping crud, the rockin' pneumonia, the boogie-woogie flu, and the life is just treating you unfairly. And then suddenly you look out there and there's the mailman and he's carrying a box and it's from Bespoke Post because it is your box of awesome and you realize, see, that's me hitting my head. You realize, boom! It's the day that the box of awesome comes. And then you get in that box and it's so awesome. You tell the mailman all about it. Sometimes you beat the mailman up and take the rest of his mail to see if he's got another box of awesome. Because what's no, this first we don't box do of that. awesome? We don't do anything that is a federal offense. No, we do not. Well, once this first box of awesome hits your veins, baby, you need another hit instantly. So if I were you, I'd snatch that mailman by the goozle pipe and rifle through his bag and see if he can give you another hit of awesome box. That isn't going to happen. That isn't suggested. And this is metaphorical intravenous use. Well, just if the mailman is bigger than you are, think twice about it. But folks, all you got to do to brighten up one of the days of your month, and then all you got to do is worry about the other 30 or 29 or 28 or 27, depending on the fucking month of the year. You go to boxofawesome.com. And then you look around at that site, you take their quiz, and because your answers are going to help them pick the right box of awesome to send you because they want to know what you're interested in. They don't want to send you things you're not interested in. No, no, whoa, become that person. Because then you might just kick the mailman in the balls and tell him to shove that box because it's not awesome. They want to please you. Because the mailman's health depends on them having satisfied customers. So, it's free to join, and they release new items every month across a ton of different categories. We've talked about, do you know what I just got here? And I actually, God damn it, where's my card? I thought I had my card here with me. What do you got my card run down so low for, Ron? Well, I'll tell you what it was. Two incredibly beautiful crystal cocktail glasses came in this box along with a whiskey bourbon whiskey scented candle well we're in kentucky and that's where they make this shit not the candles but the bourbon whiskey and and then and some other cocktail uh items and if i had the card i'd tell the people what it was but you got to go to boxofawesome.com to find out 
And Stace put it right there on our our bar area there, and it's it's a it oh and a cocktail book, a hardcover, limited edition book on various cocktails that with photographs and everything, fine fine printing. What'd you get lately? I got a kit to make my own fire, and I got portable campsite. Well, if you ever become a contestant on Naked and Afraid, you're ahead of the game. Well, I have a lot of property. I can go out in the woods behind me. I and own make them. Your, make your own fire. I can make my own fire in my own woods. What's better Ladies than that? And gentlemen, in a world where Brian Last stars <laughs> in his own movie, Quest for Fire, you can join BoxOfAwesome.com. And when you become a member, folks, you're going to have access to stellar discounts across a plethora of products. Sometimes they take 30% off or more. I'm just telling you, as a, as a, as a heads up, you're sometimes going to get 30% off or more on some of these items. And with each box of awesome, you're supporting the small businesses. We've mentioned 90% of everything that comes in a box of awesome is from a small up and coming brand that the folks at bespoke post have taken under their wing relieved of their merchandise and are now making a fortune on mom and pop's hard work. So if you want to contribute to the memory of these people that worked hard to establish these small mom and pop businesses so that then box of awesome could come along and expose them to the world and make all this money, but still, but still give you a discount. Then all you got to do is go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code JCE at checkout. You will get a free mystery gift with your first monthly shipment. A mystery gift. You don't know what it is till it comes. Then you open it up and you go, holy shit, they sent me one of these. That's what's going to happen. Boxofawesome.com. Enter the code JCE at checkout. Even though this is the drive through Brian, it's your show, but it's my code. You remember the surprise packages? Were you are you old enough? Did they do that back then? Did who do that? Did who do? Did they do surprise packages when you first went to the wrestling matches and you went to the souvenir <laughs> stand and there was a surprise package? It was five eight by ten photos for a dollar inside a manila envelope. No, WWF was not doing that at the Nassau Coliseum the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I'm telling you what, in 1974, it was a big deal. Because what Christine Jarrett would do is back then before I started taking the pictures, they were all black and white 8 by 10s right? And then people would leave the territory or whatever, these pictures would be laying around. So she would put five pictures of black and white 8 by 10s in a manila envelope and sell them for a dollar. Surprise packages. Get five pictures of many of your favorite wrestlers. And you'd get the midgets, the heels, and the girls. And, and, and people that had left the territory. Do you have to throw in a good one every now and then? How are you going to get repeat business? Every once in a while, it, it, you might. It, when Tommy Rich left the territory the first time and went to Georgia, you'd get Tommy Rich for about three months in the surprise packages. And that was just but him other, crashing into your house. Well, that's true. But otherwise, it was just, uh, it was, yeah, girls, midgets, heels, and guys that had left the territory. Well, none of those things are in the box of awesome, but you can get your own box of awesome delivered right to you. One more time, what's that promo code, Jim? JCE is what that promo code is. Free mystery gift with your first monthly shipment of the fine box of awesome. 
That's right. Get your mystery date with JCE and Box of Awesome. Hey! Hey, what? Mystery date? Now, wait a minute. Wasn't that your favorite game you told me? No, I liked I liked uh, uh, Operation, except for that goddamn writer's cramp. Did you have a favorite board game? I used to. Uh, when I was a kid, I got the Disneyland game. And it's like when I'm four years old. And I remember playing that more than I ever played any other game for about two or three years from the time I was four, five, six, seven. And I still have the same Disneyland game in the box sitting in the bench in front of the window where I used to play in the floor with my mom when I was seven years old. It's the exact same place. But then I went through a clue phase and I enjoyed playing the clue. I liked Colonel Mustard. He was a friend of mine. And but normally, you know, mo- most board games you play them every once in a while. Been uh, played Monopoly, blah blah blah, but nothing on a habitual basis for many many years. But I, I like Trivial Pursuit when it first came out. Yeah, that's fun. It's still good. It didn't change too much. Well, but now if they do new trivia, I don't know anything trivial from the last thirty years. Well, now they do different theme ones. You can get ones that are specifically about the eighties, ones that are about history, ones that are about a band or a show, whatever it may be. Well, there you go, then. Well, there you go. And once again, the Box of Awesome, promo code JCE. JCE. You ought to write it down, then you wouldn't have to ask me so often. Well, people like to hear you say it. That's what it's all about. Speaking of what it's all about, we're going to get to your raw thoughts in a moment. The staff of TNA, the staff, the roster of TNA, have sent a letter to Anthem Uh in support of Scott D'Amore. Insubordination, eh? I have this letter here. Len and Scott. TNA Impact is not just our employer and the company for which we work. It is a family. A family that each of us has grown to love and cherish and trust with our bodies and our careers until WWE calls. I I added that part. A family for which we feel deeply and that desire above all else to protect. And that desire to... Weird phrasing. We are deeply saddened by the decision to remove Scott Demore from the TNA Impact family. Scott is a brilliant wrestling mind that has guided this company and has positioned it to take the next step forward, excuse me, upward, in our industry. Scott is also so much more than this. He's a trusted friend, a confidant, a teacher, an advisor, a brother, and a mentor who happens to have a gun pointed at me as I write this. (laughs) To so many within the TNA Impact family, Scott has been the heart of the TNA Impact family for over two decades and through losses of millions of dollars. He just recently helped a crippled squirrel across the road, narrowly avoiding a collision with an 18-wheeler. Len, and that's Len Asper, Lenny Asper from the Asper family, owns Anthem. Len and Anthem have been instrumental. I wonder if he always had an aspiration to be an executive. Uh, Len and Anthem have been instrumental in supporting and building this company back from the ground up. The contributions of Len and Anthem have never gone unnoticed by anyone in this company, and we want to make sure that Len knows this. TNA, simply put, would not have survived without Len and Anthem. Not just financially, specifically financially, not just financially, but with the undying faith in Scott and us 
to revive the company that was on the brink of death. Len and Anthem are the foundation that TNA has been able to build upon. We would not have made it back to this point without both of you, in caps. The fans know this, and the TNA family knows this. All right, so before we get to the turn here, after they buttered up Lenny Asper, <laughs> what are your thoughts so far on this letter? The idea that talent will read the rest of it has gotten together to issue a statement or issue a missive to management. Well, it's not new in wrestling that the talent generally backed the booker. Let me rephrase this. In the territories... The booker was usually more popular with the boys than the promoter because the booker was usually one of the boys or had been one of the boys and was the guy that had brought that particular talent into the company and had given him the spot or pushed him maybe or give him a new gimmick or done whatever for him. The promoter was the owner and the person who footed the bill and ran the shows ultimately, and blah, blah, blah. But that was generally, uh, again, a businessman who had been in that same part of the country for years and years, whereas bookers, uh, being one of the boys, or usually would have known a bunch of these guys and been in a bunch of different places. So you were always closer to the booker, the representative of the talent, than the actual promoter, the owner of the company. But I don't know to paraphrase Jim Hurd about me and the Midnight Express during our contract negotiations. I don't know if I've seen this level of loyalty since Korea that the entire roster would band together <laughs> to try to undo the termination of basically in this fucking instance, DeMore was the booker. Whether they call it president of the company or whatever, he he was in charge of creative, he was in charge of this talent and bringing most of them, if not all of them in. So he did the, and, and making the TV show what it is supposed to be. He did the booker's job. And it's not often that talent will go out on a limb to disagree publicly with the decision of the promoter to change bookers, even though as, and as we'll talk about here in a few minutes, when you finish with this, there's more to this than, that I'm getting or understanding, but go ahead. We come to you to voice our concern for TNA Impact, our family, and its future and direction. We, like you, wish to safeguard what we have all worked and sweat and bled for to build. Who wrote this? Well, I was about to say, I wish they'd have had an editor uh, here to punch this up a little bit but go ahead we want tna impact to continue to grow and to continue to be an enviable place for all professional wrestlers to work we understand and appreciate that professional wrestling at its core is a business and that the company must provide a fiscally responsible financially viable product at the same time professional wrestling is uniquely situated the business of professional wrestling is so much more than balance sheets, downloads, and ratings. The wrestling business is, and must be, its people. 
It's you know what you know what it used to be. Also, <laughs> brief and to the point is what the wrestling business used to be. The wrestling business is and must be its people, its characters, and its storylines. That is to say, there is no wrestling business without the wrestling creative vision and the right people bringing that creative vision to life. To thrive, a wrestling company must have both an eye towards business decisions and its finger on the pulse of creative decisions and the ever-changing appetite of our fans. It is in light of this concern... And I, I swear to God, if, if this had come, if this letter had come from the talent to any wrestling office I've ever worked for in my life, it, it would have got read this far. It is in light of this concern and our desire to uphold the high standards of TNA Impact that we offer this letter. It is our desire to have a dialogue with you and with the company. Wait a minute, this isn't even the dialogue? This is just the letter asking for the dialogue? In an effort to protect the present and future of TNA Impact for you, for Anthem, for the fans, and for professional wrestlers. We feel strongly that a, and this is in quotes, wrestling person needs to be intimately involved at a high level to ensure that the amazing company we have all built and product we have all provided to our fans continues to grow and flourish. Wow. It is our opinion that the best possible person for that role was, is, and will be Scott. We recognize that we do not necessarily know all the facts or details around the decision to remove Scott. In life, there is always the rumors, the opinions, and somewhere in between the truth. We rarely get to know which is which. It remains our hope and desire that everyone can set aside the past few days and any hurt feelings or unkind words that may have been exchanged <laughs> and meet to discuss a path fuck forward. Fuck you, oh fuck you, get the fuck out! You can't kick me out, I'm leaving! And meet to discuss a path forward that preserves the TNA Impact family we all hold so dearly. We remain steadfast and hopeful that this letter can be a first step to opening and keeping open productive lines of communication to ensure the TNA Impact family continues to be a wonderful, unique place to work for years to come. We ask and implore you both to come together and create a resolution that will reunite this family once again. We look forward to hearing from you and continuing this dialogue. Signed, your TNA family. Good Lord. Well, I think there need to be some DNA tests done. What a, what a bunch of dummies. They should fire every single one of them. We know this is your company. You're trying to make a business. And we know that we haven't really been lighting anything on fire ever. And that the Carters lost millions of fucking dollars on this project. And you were stupid enough to buy into this thing. just because you needed programming. And you funded all of this crap, even though it's not making any fucking money, any real money. We know all that. However, do what we want and hire the person who has not brought you to that level that you need to get to. What is this? But now having said that. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> let me, let me, first of all, they, it's, I guess it's a younger generation that thinks that 
you know, they can do things like this and that the boss of a big company won't say, who are these fucking people, right? Get these fucking people out of here. But also it indicates... Who isn't replaceable in TNA? Well, but I mean, I mean even this is part of the problem. They're not all wrong. The talent is not all wrong. They're just not taking the best fucking yellow brick road to get to Oz. You need a wrestling person in charge of a wrestling product. That's the one part they got right. That they think that this letter is going to do, especially that it's out in public, uh, that they think that that's going to do anything. They're, they're crazy and they've never worked in goddamn corporate America. But having said that, it's obvious that they think, and probably rightfully so, that Anthem putting whoever this fucking guy is that nobody has ever heard of in the wrestling business in charge of their wrestling company, it's going to be a Jim Hurd, it's going to be a Kip Fry, it's not even going to be a Mark project like Tony Khan or your average lottery winner that, you know, starts up Wrestlicious or whatever that loves wrestling, and it's going to be some corporate executive that don't know shit from apple butter about what the fuck is going on or should go on and so you can tell that the talent is scared shitless that they've got this close to what they think might be success and it's all going to fall apart without demore or in charge because there are wrestling people there of some description and some experience at least, but they're not in any position of authority without Demore. The corporate owners are the ones who can tell everybody what to do. So now that they have appointed one of their own, you know, who's going to... Is there any guarantee that this guy's going to know what the fuck is going on with the wrestling business? Probably not, from every previous example. So yeah, the boys and girls should be shitting themselves that... This could be bad because this could be very bad. But not only to write that letter and have how what were you reading this off of? Are you on the goddamn mailing list for Lynn Asper or is this out in public? No, this is out in public and uh, Fightful actually published a letter. So Fightful had it. Uh, Scott, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful posted it. So it's out there. It's public. Well, I, I, I mean, if everybody got together and voted to write a letter with that intention and they no nominated one person to do it, whoever writes the best, and send it, then I'm pretty sure Lynn Asper didn't leak it, so somebody on the talent side had to have, which is fucking it, because now they might have looked at it as like, well, these fucking wrestlers, they don't understand, and we'll get to that in a minute, they don't understand why we did what we did, nobody does, but we're going to tell them in the next meeting that uh, probably don't be sending us any more letters like this. But now that it's out in public, I think if I was Anthem, I'd be finding the two or three people that had the most to do with this draft, and they'd be in the unemployment line fucking walking around wondering what happened as an example to everybody else. Mind your P's and Q's. They don't need to own a wrestling company. They own the catalog. They could just sell the catalog or air that stuff on their channel. It probably wouldn't yeah. hurt the ratings. They don't need to employ any of these people. The Big Bang Theory reruns are doing better than a fucking bigger budget company with more stars on national cable. So why couldn't they run the TNA reruns where they had bigger budget and more stars? But anyway, here's the thing I don't understand. 
Scott Demore, the talent universally loves him. They're literally laying down in a mud puddle so that he can walk over them with that letter and jeopardizing their own jobs and livelihoods to in a vain attempt that I don't know who thought was a good idea to try to get fucking Demore's job back. This company, everybody says TNA's been doing better. Now, the only ones that know about the books are the people that own it. But the product's been better, the crowds have been bigger, or whatever the fuck. And the the talent is happy. So for Scott Demore to be fired, either there has to be something personal with management, personal disagreement, we can't fucking coexist anymore, or they know something we don't know, as to why that they don't want Scott Demore to be the president of the company. I'm not trying to start any goddamn rumors, but it has to be one of those two broad things, does it not? Why, why are they firing a guy that all the employees like and the company's doing better out of nowhere and giving as the reason we're going to integrate it? And we said this was bullshit. We talked about it last week. Why hadn't they already integrated it into all their other companies because it only makes sense if they own it to make fucking money so why are they just deciding to do this now and why couldn't okay demore you're still the head of the wrestling company and you report to old cecil over there from our burlington ontario office or whatever and we're gonna do all these things why did demore have to go the story came out that he had tried to buy the company from Anthem. Well, does that mean that there was some tension going, well, I want to run this fucking thing. If you're not going to do this or that, I'll buy it from you. Well, who the fuck do you think you are if we can't run it? Who knows what happened there? But it makes no sense to fire a popular guy in a company that's doing better than what it has uh, simply to for the corporate ownership to do more for the company. Why couldn't DeMore again stay there and be the, the vice president and the other guy could be the president? He probably wouldn't like that and wouldn't want to stay, but I don't know that that was, seems like that's something you would have heard might have been offered. Well, we wanted Scott to stay, but, but no, it's just, he's done. And then they tell the talent he stepped down after they announced in public they fired him. And what if they put a wrestling person, whoever that may be, in charge right now? Does that calm all this down? Or is it literally the talent of a company that doesn't make a lot of money saying we will only work for this one person? This particular wrestling. I wonder what if, if Anthem said, well, we call Cornette. I wonder if they would be writing any more letters. <laughs> They'd be scared to. But um, it, 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 no, it doesn't make sense from either standpoint. The talent's not going to be able to pull this off, and they just got heat on themselves for making it public, at least, if not private. And secondly, there's got to be more that we're going to find out, or maybe never find out, that Demore and the people, maybe we'll find out by how they run the company now that Demore is gone. Yeah, he's, he's free to say something. Let Scott Demore come out and say, Look, there's a lot of rumors. Here's what happened. Here's why we couldn't work together. Here's why they asked me to leave. Well, but if if um, in three months we find out that Anthem has turned this whole thing into a game show taking place on a fucking bridge over a goddamn river, maybe that's the reason why they couldn't work together. But 
I don't understand why. Well, we want to do more for this company that's doing well, so we're going to get rid of the guy that was running it completely. He cannot stay in any capacity, and then we're going to fucking put somebody that hadn't had anything to do with it in charge of it. There's, there's some things that need to be fucking sorted out there. Yeah, Steinbrenner-esque. Doesn't make too much sense. And 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 again, this was not like a power play from somebody else in the wrestling business. I ought to be running the thing because they didn't announce, well, your new fucking booker is goddamn, you know, delirious. <laughs> By the way, there, there's another name. Doesn't he work there? Yes, but there's another name that... <laughs> Of many people that I can think of, but one shining example that could actually book a national televised wrestling promotion, and he's working as a producer for Impact because Tony Khan don't want nobody to write his TV but him. But, you know, there there's talent, but it wasn't a wrestling person that replaced Demore. It was just the executive guy that was already there. So it sounds like Anthem needed Scott Demore gone for whatever fucking reason you want to get some buzz i know who should replace him a steel there you go there's a wrestling guy doesn't he work there or am i wrong uh he was going to he was going to work there when he went back to aew because they made up with punk oh, that's and then right. that's right yeah and then i don't know what has happened since then but it wouldn't surprise me if he hadn't popped in or whatever because they wanted him before but the, the point again no wrestling person replaced demore either in his administrative position or on creative team they just said no scott demore has to go we love the company want to do more for it getting rid of this guy that they had been arguing in the office or something you know, I, I I don't know what else to say if you're in charge do you want to know who's been talking to scott demore about him possibly owning the company like has he already been having conversations with people? Look, I'm going to offer to buy the company. I want you to come work for me. Well, yes, you always, well, see, I don't know what they know or what they think. The non-wrestling people, Anthem, how does normal business work? Seems like you'd want to know that information anyway, but, but no, that's a, when Lawler took the book over from Dundee, the first thing he did was give notice to almost everybody Dundee had brought in. Because he wanted the guys on the fucking card to be loyal to him for their jobs, not the other guy that might have used them better because they might spread that word around. That's, I mean, that's wrestling. Well, we will see if uh, it is still no more, the more, or the more, no more, or if there'll be more, the more at some point. No more, the more, or more, the more. That is the question. Maybe a class on how to write a letter may help some of those people. But Jim, let's move on to bigger and better things. <laughs> we are in the future. It was a necessity this time because of differences in sound. No, and no. First of all, it doesn't sound like we time-traveled. It sounds like we disemboweled a cat. Secondly, if I'm laughing because you just said we had to take a short break. And normally in a, on a professionally produced program such as this, you, we would edit and people would never know we'd been away. But you said, no, we have to time-travel because there's a 
a difference in sound and you uttered a word, a, a sentence in the English language that is never before in all of the millennia that this language has been around ever been uttered, you said we have to time travel because the cleaning lady is here. And on its face, I could see why that would stand out to you, but it doesn't change the reality of the statement. Nobody's going to hear a goddamn difference in the sound. You absolutely in audio this program will. She's got a vacuum cleaner. She's running wild upstairs right above me. Right. It's like a stampeding herd of buffalo. By the time you finish running this show through the ringer, nobody hears any of these say you've super hearing fucking spidey sense tingling motherfucker. See, she just ran the sink upstairs, I heard it, and then she shut it off right when you stopped talking. I can barely hear you. Listen to this, listen. There's nothing there. There's no, there is noise. You. It wasn't even there. It is there, it is loud, it is in the background. It sounds like someone's like, what a fucking, pa the power washing my windows is what it sounds like, but there's no were, one there. Were you, were you the little member of the DeFranco family that chimed in with, I can hear your heartbeat. I can hear your heartbeat. I'm surprised you don't hear people's thoughts when you're walking down the street. Well, I can't hear their heartbeat or their love beat or anything else that's going on over there, Mr. Quoting But the when Frankos. we meet, it's a good vibration or a heartbeat. It's a love beat. Ugh. And when we meet, this is what you were into. Good sensation. Listen to my heart pound. Listen to my love sound. Temperatures rising higher, higher. Can't hold back. No disguising because my heart beat. It's a lie. You can cut me off if you want. You're lucky you became famous on TV. No one would ever talk to you. What? This singing, this awful defacing of music, even bad songs. <laughs> what not that? Are, are, you, are you calling the DeFranco oh. family's only major hit of a bad song? I, I fie upon you, sir. They were like the wannabe Osmonds. Like, hey, the Osmonds did it. Let's try it, too. Everyone get out there and sing something and move around like a white person. Well, it's a big country. And there, there need to be two, two groups of Osmonds. Listen to that noise in the background. What? It sounds like she's drilling. It sounds like there's a power drill or something. What, did she, what kind of cleaning are you having done? I don't know. She does a good job. I can't take that away from her. She certainly sounds like she's cleaning your pipes. She gets an A for effort. Anyway, is this still a program, or are we just... Well, what are we doing here? Well, once again, we are in the future. I would play the uh, cat being disemboweled sound, but I've moved past that point. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, we will never play that sound again. The noise is still there, which is a perfect way to transition to WWE Raw, which is still there on the <sighs> USA Network, Mondays at 8 p.m., ending in the vicinity of 11 p.m. In the vicinity. Actually, you know, every once in a while they might go over, but they let us know about it ahead of time. And, and more importantly, they tell the cable systems as well. Just a thing to point out. But anyway, they were in Rupp Arena, right down the road in Lexington, Kentucky. Rupp Arena, named after college basketball coaching legend Adolph Rupp. And did do we know the crowd, or can you research this while I am yes, talking I, about Rupp Arena? Let me find it. Because, obviously, Rupp Arena was the scene of the great 
shows that Jerry Jarrett used to run between they opened up in, I believe it was April or May of 1978, uh, wrestling in Rupp Arena and were monthly until God, the late eighties when I believe they lost television. There's a reason why that they pulled out, but that's where they had the, the biggest Lawler Savage match when they, you know, mended their fences and drew 8,000 people. And this, uh, that was the thing, Lexington, Kentucky in those days between 78 and, and the mid eighties, you know, when everybody's business started crumbling was the not just the number two town in terms of size of crowd in the Memphis territory. Uh, I think the biggest crowd was 8,000-something for Lawler and Savage, and I think they came close to that back in 79 for uh, Lawler and Fargo. But nevertheless, um, it, it was it, they only ran once a month. All the other towns in the territory were weekly, but the actual gate in Lexington would generally be bigger than the any of the Memphis gates that month, unless they did a big sellout because they didn't have as many general admission seats. And Lexington was just a hot town, especially with the girls from the University of Kentucky came to see the Fabs and the Rock and Roll and Lawler and Dundee. And, and then the guys started coming to see the girls that were going to see those guys. And it was, you know, anyway, the, you know, one of the, best towns in the territory in terms of not only size of crowd, but the gate and Rupp arena, as you saw from raw, it was built specifically for basketball. And because of that, it looks fantastic on television because the, the way that the seats are configured, it's rectangular, but there's a giant upper deck. I think they finally put chairs in when they first opened in the seventies, they had bleachers so they could literally get, as many people jammed in as possible in the in the upper deck and seat like you know ten or twelve thousand in the uh, lower bowl and then another ten to twelve in the upper bowl but in the upper seats because it seats twenty three thousand for basketball and they built it in Lexington Kentucky which I don't think the population in the seventies of Lexington was two hundred thousand people. But it was for the University of Kentucky Wildcats games that would sell out and turn away every fucking game. And otherwise, they couldn't get anybody, but like the Rolling Stones could sell out Rupp Arena. Otherwise, for the first couple of years, you know, you couldn't find anything that could really fill that building. So they were open for some dates and they had an apparatus where they could put a curtain down the middle of the building. And if they curtained the middle of the building, and use the lower bowl, then you would have a sellout 6,000 or so uh, fans jammed in, and it was a great atmosphere. And if they opened the upper deck and put a 1,000 or two in that, then it was fucking great, and half the building was still empty, but you couldn't see it because it was blocked off. But anyway, point I'm making is, when there's and they the WWE filled it up for pay-per-views in the Attitude Era, when there's floor seats and combined with the way that it's built where the bleachers go straight up from the sides of the basketball court straight up, all you can see is people from any angle. So it looks like a goddamn stadium. How many did they have there the other night? Have you found that yet? Yeah, WWE Monday Night Raw, Rupp Arena, Lexington, Kentucky, February 12th. This is courtesy of WrestleTix. Tickets distributed. 
10,108. Their previous visit was in June for SmackDown, where it was 9,841, so they're slightly up. And for the record, despite whatever stars were in segments, these were the matches. Bobby Lashley versus Bronson Reed. L.A. Knight versus Ivar. Liv Morgan versus Zoe Stark. And Gunther Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci versus Jey Uso and The New Day. You couldn't have sold 15 tickets at a goddamn all-you-can-eat buffet to see that lineup probably in the, in the glory days of Lexington Wrestling. But now, thankfully, for the WWE... They're selling the trademark or the the name Raw and the and it's live national television and the stars, the real stars will talk to you. But anyway, I just I noticed, and if you go back, if anybody wants to go back and look, they've got 10,000 people there with that stage and the fact that they've got some people dribbled into that upper bowl and it's dark up there. They made a 23,000 seat building that had it was 23,000 plus floor that had 10,000 whatever people in it looked like it was goddamn jammed. Did you notice or you just saw more people? There were, there are no, across from the hard camera, there's no big walls like some arenas have. There's no big entrance way to a vomitorium, as they say, to the concession stands. It's just fucking people. Did you notice? I didn't realize just how big the building was because, you know, most of these buildings now, if they're not curtained off, it looks like they are because that's where the stage is. That's where everything ends. The stage is the end of what you see. But it looked uh, pretty good. Oh, yeah. And uh, again, I hate to give it to them, but my Cardinals have shit to bed and fell back in it, as Grandpa used to say. Uh, but the University of Kentucky for years has been a powerhouse in college basketball and they got that arena almost 50 years ago in lexington kentucky this seats over twenty-three thousand people just because of that fucking program and every rich motherfucker uh in the state of kentucky went to uk anyway um yeah they started out with that six-man tag team match gunther and kaiser and da vinci and kofi and uh, Xavier and Jey Uso, and it went for a long time. And there's, and I mean, we love Gunther; he's one of the top talents in the business. And his his boys work hard. They they have tried to make them somewhat more serious. I think we both would agree over the past few months, whereas they were really goofy flunkies at one point. Um. But, you know, I didn't want to see half an hour of this match, did you? <laughs> Just to be no, honest. I certainly did not, and uh, no. And I knew who was going to do the job. Well, least, yeah. At least I thought uh, I did. Well, one of either Kaiser or Da Vinci, and now Da Vinci. It's always Da Vinci. No, it's always Da Vinci. Well, it, I, it used to be Kaiser. I guess they've, they've helped him out a little bit. But a, a random observation. Jey Uso... <sighs> He is so showboaty now that the heel looks like a dipshit, either standing there or wibble leg wobbling, waiting on the punches and the gyrations. And I know people say the same thing about the horseman and Dusty, and but Jey Uso ain't Dusty right now. And this ain't the 80s crowds that would stand there and hang on it either. Have you, when he backs up, 
spits and throws the slap or the punch and he gets leveled, he looks like a dipshit. But if the heel stands there while he goes into those gyrations and then the heel looks like a dipshit because and again maybe the rock gets away with it but jay uso ain't the rock yet either do you see where i'm going with it there's a steve austin if he wanted to could stand there and toot toot and whatever the fuck but jay uso ain't steve austin is there a pattern here i don't know about a pattern but i agree with you and i think he was yeah. at a certain level with the bloodline because of where that storyline and where roman reigns is but He's kind of lost in the mid-card shuffle right now on Raw. And I don't think he's doing himself any favors, though, when he's... To me, I'm starting to think that sooner or later, the fans that they like Yeet and everything, it's audience participation. But some people in that building, especially the more cynical amongst them, are going to start saying, you know, if that guy would just throw his fucking punch or just do his... Instead of dancing like he's hot shit, it's over the top, it's too much. It, 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 he's not the boogie woogie man in North Carolina. So anyway, that's about the end. It, it just, it, it, it's kind of a, a combination of a rock tribute and a guy that thinks that he's, his shit's a little hotter than it might be currently cooking at. And that was that. And, and he beat uh, old Da Vinci with splash off the top rope. But what fi and they followed that with the WrestleMania kickoff package. We've already talked about the kickoff, but they did a nice recap of it. But did you see the next little pre-tape package they did on our friend uh, Ole Andre? I did. I did get a kick, I get a kick out of him talking, so I well, make sure to watch his stuff. But here's the thing: I understood him. I understood him. I mean, it was, you know, you have to listen, but still, he spoke slowly. I under, he enunciated it to the best of his ability. And more importantly, the company putting him on television didn't just stand him out there for a minute to fucking gargle dishwater and with nothing to say. They produced him, they gave him material to say that is about himself to get himself over meanwhile they edited the video he looks like something when he spoke we needed neither subtitles nor to just be left scratching our heads you could understand what he was saying and he's putting himself over and it looked it, now he looks like something oh, he's, right he still sounds like he's trying to romantically sell you tequila in another language well, but that, but, <laughs> but it, i was u.s he's always out of breath ah i was u.s champion nxt champion well now you sound like the sheik oh but i was <laughs> ufc champion nfc champion but i'm just saying he looks more like somebody here in this presentation, in this context, than he did standing over there trying to do his own shit. And I, we don't know. I don't speak Spanish. So I don't know if it's a case where he is an outstanding public speaker in Spanish and it's just that English is his second language. I can't speak a second language at all, so I'm not knocking him. But I don't know whether it's his accent that prevents him from being able to communicate effectively in English unless he slows it down and he's produced, but that's the dims to conditions what prevail. So they went and used that to some advantage here. And I mean, it could be, is he, and I, you know, I say this with love, is he a Bobby Eaton in Spanish? Is he just a guy that a lot of people have trouble 
understand him speak? I don't know because I can't understand what the other language that he's speaking to begin with. But they've at least nullified some of that disadvantage here. Is that is that an unfair thing I just said about this? Well, we'll thing? see because, again, it's just a promo package. He has to actually get over in front of the fans. That hasn't necessarily happened on the main roster. It happened in NXT when he was with Zelina Vega. The other thing is he's stronger as a heel. Is he being presented as a babyface? No, I didn't get that here. I just got that he's just a cool guy that thinks his, he's hot shit. That's what you see when you see him? That's a cool guy. That thinks That's he's a cool guy with, that thinks he's hot shit. It's like George Costanza with Dan Cortez. Yeah, now that we've had the weather, we'll go to the sports. But anyway, so now we're about 40 minutes into the show from because of that marathon six-man. But the Elimination Chamber qualifying match, Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. And I swear to God... This matchup does neither one any good because it's like two Volkswagens trying to break dance. They can't, you, you've diminished Bobby Lashley's size and power and strength and his physique and everything because the guy he's in there with is a fucking, you know, monster himself. But at the same time, Bronson Reed, you you can't have Bobby Lashley being thrown around like a fucking rag. And they're just, they're punching and clubbing a lot because they're not going to be doing high spots. And there's no, it's like, it's if, if it was two magnets, there are two positives and not a positive and a negative. How else could I convey this clash of styles? I don't know, because it didn't have anyone that was involved in any of the main shit. So it was one of those matches I had on waiting for. That's kind of where I am now with my fandom of a lot of this stuff. I'm not really into throwaway matches, even if it's an elimination chamber, eliminator, whatever the fuck it is. Qualifier. Qualifier, not an eliminator, qualifier. I mean, I kind of you know thought I knew who was going to win. I kind of thought I knew who was going to win. And I kind of thought, you know, if I want to get something to eat, I got to pick and choose my times. Lashley versus Reed versus I don't know what's next. I mean, they screw me if it's like Valhalla and Ivar and the models. But I took my chances and I all right, all used right. this but match no, to go. And, and Bronson Reed, we remember we liked him. I liked him and I still do like the concept of him. But I didn't like Mr. Nice Guy and I don't know. He comes and he goes. He's kind of like an AEW guy over here on this program. But it, just stylistically and to get bronson reed over as an ass kicker that he looks like dare i say match him up in a personal issue with a a, a ricky morton-esque smaller baby face that you might want to get over as a sympathetic figure who can sell his ass off and fight from underneath this big bully or whatever and by the same token with lashley they're presenting lashley as a baby face now but at his size look he can't get a lot of sympathy but can you imagine saying if suddenly we could just make an interpromotional match could if and he was healthy mjf as a heel could make bobby lashley look like the greatest baby face in the world psychologically the way he'd put to put the match together and the attributes that he has that he could fly and still get heat and cheat etc you see what i'm saying 
some of these styles fit better with other people's physiques and attributes. And this wasn't it, dog. Dog. So I missed nothing. You missed nothing. But um, actually, no, you did miss probably the, the biggest pop that got deserved in a fucking match on this show. Lashley slammed him off the top rope. And that brought him up, boy, because boom, and then he speared him one, two, three. But that was a big pop in an actual match instead of a pop in an interview. And Lashley, speaking of interviews, I I think it was on Inside the Ropes, our friend Kenny McIntosh over there across the pond. But the fucking clickbait headline of the thing from Bobby's interview, I'm kidding, Kenny, I love you. Was WWE superstar explains when he almost killed Jim Cornette. So, of course, a lot of people wanted to delve into that a little bit further, but it was true. It was not a, a false. Did I tell you a story when Lashley gave me whiplash for two weeks? I couldn't drive or turn my head. I think a long time ago. I don't remember the details, though. But basically, he was telling the story of this, and he was explaining that it was an angle on OVW television. I was the announcer, but I was going to be at Six Flags or wherever, what show we were building in the babyface's corner to try to prevent any interference from the blah, blah, blah. And so basically, we didn't do this often, but about once a year, I might take a bump leading up to the big crusade show or whatever. So Lashley was, I, he was using a power slam for a finish at the time. And I mean, cause he was green. He'd only been here like two months. Right. I I made it clear to him. I said, I am not talking about a power slam, <laughs> right? Don't power slam me. When I go over the other guy, you're going to grab me and just give me a body slam, right? Just a regular body slam. Boom. And of course I'll sell that like I'm dead because you goddamn, you're fucking huge. and. Hopefully I won't be dead. I told him I was in a just body slam, right? So what I didn't know was that apparently since he'd been there in class and or in the matches, whatever, he was so fucking strong that he was just grabbing the guys and picking them up without them going up or helping or even the former. He was just picking people up and just slamming them, carrying them around. Not in a dangerous way. He just didn't require any assistance in picking a motherfucker up, right? So when he grabs me and goes for the slam, I will try to explain in audio for the benefit of those that may be inexperienced out there or possibly some of the independent wrestlers, how you give and take a body slam. If you're going to pick somebody up for a slam, your right arm goes in between their legs, the crotch lift, and your left arm goes over there, uh, hold on, I'm turning around here, right fucking shoulder. So you're picking a guy up with your right arm between his legs and your left arm over his fucking uh, right-hand shoulder. But it's the responsibility of the guy going up for the slam to go up for the slam. And the way that you do that is my right hand goes on his left thigh because I'm going to post up as he's bent over and grabbed me. Like I just described my left arm is going over his fucking left shoulder. And I'm going to put that arm stiff over his back so that I'm bracing against the side of his neck with my armpit. And then 
if you're in your first day of wrestling school and you don't know how to do it, and I've seen a lot of people do this in actual fucking matches in front of people, you know you're supposed to help go up, but you don't know how, so you will push off with both feet at the same time. And if you do that, chances are sooner or later you're going to give somebody a hernia because you've just boosted all your weight up on them for no fucking reason. What you do is with your right hand on the fucking thigh and your left arm braced over the shoulder and around the neck, you're going to spin your left leg up to your left side and push off with your right foot. You're almost trying to do a cartwheel with this guy's assistance. And once you've swung that fucking left leg up and you start to push off with that right leg, he's going to stand up underneath you and you're going to be up there and then you arch your back and you look up. And now you got that nice, pretty Harley race fucking arch to it. And then the guy slamming you, he has stood up under you and picked you up and he just turns you and he slams you right in front of him. He doesn't have to take a step. He doesn't have to move his feet. He can hot dog if he wants to, but it's not necessary. When he slams you, you end up, your shoulders land where your feet were when you were standing in front of him and he started to pick you up. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay, well... <laughs> That's what I was doing, but that wasn't what Bobby was doing. When I went to fucking spin up there, he just started picking me up like he had everybody else. And in this interview, his quote was, he said, he just went up like nothing. And all of a sudden, I was up, up on top of him for the slam before that he fucking realized he had anything. And what he did was he was trying to instead of power slam me, turn me over gently and throw me down to the mat. But in doing so, because I was up so much higher and so much easier than everybody else that he'd just been chest to chest slamming, he over rotated me and he slammed my feet hit first, my knees bent, then my fucking ass hit. Then my face went over my knees where my chest compressed against my fucking knees. I bit my fucking tongue and then my head flapped back. <laughs> oh my God. He folded me up like a fucking pocket knife when I hit the ground. And it gave me whiplash. And he said, oh my God, oh my God, I've killed Cornette. He's been here two months. His career is over. So he goes on to say in the interview that when we get to the fucking back, I'm screaming and cussing. He's like, oh, this is it. And he said, wait, he said, He's screaming and cussing at everybody else. I said, who the fuck has not showed him how to do it? Well, he was just picking everybody. I said, show me how you're picking these motherfuckers up, right? And he started bending over and just crotch lifting these fuckers and their feet, they didn't even push off with both feet. They didn't push off. He was just picking them up. I said, who's not fucking told him what the fuck's going on here? And they said, well, he was getting us up anyway. I said, anybody in class, anything. Everybody was scared to tell him or they, they didn't notice. I don't know what the fuck. I said, no. And I went up for him. This is before the whiplash set in. It was only about 15 minutes later. I went up for him in the fucking dressing room again in front of all the guys. And I'm up there. I said, look, this. I said, do you feel me? I'm looking down at Lash. Do you feel me? He said, no. God damn it. I had to be the guinea pig. Teach Bobby Lashley. I'd do a body slam. Wow. Well, you know, that was a hell of a match and a hell of a story. Much better than the match. 
<clears throat> and I would have to think when you're suffering from whiplash, the one thing you don't want to worry about is where are you going to get your next healthy meal? <laughs> you just kind of want it there right in front of you. You don't want to, you don't want to have to prepare it or buy the vegetables or do no. anything. You no. want it brought right to you because you have whiplash. Yes, and have somebody stick the food in your mouth and rub your neck so you don't have to chew. No, you when you can't turn your neck, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot go to the grocery store and buy the proper produce because it does require some element of dexterity in terms of whether you look to the left or you look to the right. And by the same token, if you've if you've bitten the end of your tongue off because you've been whiplashed down with such goddamn authority, you might want to get a special kind of meal that may be a little mushier and less corrosive, but whatever. If you've got a busy life, if you're being body slammed on a regular basis by Bobby Lashley, or you're just going out and working your fingers to the bone to support you and the children, well, then you don't want to spend a lot of time cooking. And that's why, Brian, I'll have you know that so many people in this country are not only overweight, but diabetic and have all kinds of in, innard rot, your, your, your gut health. You know, we've, we've heard about gut health on this show before. Yeah. You were eating garbage. That's why they call it fast food, because nobody has time. Nobody has any time anymore, time to play B-sides, because we're all in this rush, rush, busy, hurry, scurry world. <laughs> and and we don't have time. That's why the fast food is poisoning us because it's fast and we don't have time for slow food. Not in this so, rush, rush world. In this hurry, scurry type of atmosphere. It's a dog eat dog world and you're wearing milk bone underwear, ladies and gentlemen. So you need somebody that's going to prepare your food. And you need somebody to try, because if you know, you got to watch who's preparing your food, you might have to have a taster and that would be extra expense. But if you go to a place you trust, like our friends at Factor, over at factormeals.com, uh, you, you go to a place you trust and you get delicious, ready-to-eat meals. They're already made. They just need to be eaten. You, you can eliminate the time it takes to make it and just spend the time it takes to eat it. And if you eat fast, well, it's bad for your digestion, but who are we to judge? But they make eating better every day easy because they have a variety of dietitian and chef-crafted meals that are delivered right to your door. One day, the chef brings them. The next day, the dietitian, bro, they swap out. No reason for anybody to feel put upon. But you're going to have 35 different options a week to choose from. And, Clay, if you're on a keto diet, if you're on the calorie-smart diet, the vegan and veggie diet, and so much more, they've got all kinds of different uh, strategies for your eating pleasure. So again, if you don't want the meat, they got the vegan and the veggie. And if, you, if you're doing the low-carb, low-sugar thing, they got the keto. Brian, you and I have picked the calorie smart, and I couldn't believe these folks came on board. Stacy has enjoyed these in the past uh, when she was doing the keto diet. She, it's boom. You just, it's right there, and you just fucking heat it up and eat it. And they've not only got dinner, they got breakfast. They got, depending on what time of day you might eat lunch, they got the lunch or the supper saying you can sign up and save because it's less than takeout or the, have you, have you priced the Uber Eats lately? It's like, you know, the, the, they fucking, it's Uber expensive. 
And also, folks, I'll have you know that this is not some kind of kennel ration type of deal. The, the, they have a dietitian look at these things. And it's approved to be not only nutritious, but delicious. Although you'll be the judge of the delicious, but for heaven's sake. You know, for most people, it's, it's quite tasty. So nevertheless, would you like to know how to get involved in all of this? I would love to let the listeners know how they can get involved with all this, whatever well, this yes. may be. Whatever this may be, the Factor Meals, 100% ready to heat and eat, no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Well, the heating is cooking, at least the way I do it, it is. I guess some people do get more flowery with it. But you can go right now to factormeals.com slash JCE50 and use the code JCE50. And the reason why the code is JCE50 is you're getting 50% off. 50% off if you go to factormeals.com slash JCE50, you're going to get 50% off. And again, two-minute meals that you can, as a matter of fact, it says here where you can choose from six to 18 meals a week. How the fuck are you going to have time to eat 18 meals a week even if they're quick? Well, there's three meals a day if you're having a proper balanced diet. I haven't eaten three meals a day in 40 years. I said if you're having a proper balanced diet. Oh, you did issue that caveat, didn't you? Actually, I used to just have one meal all day. But I got away from that, and you can not You can drop pounds, drop ounces, but you won't drop a lot of money at factormeals.com slash JCE50 and using the code JCE50 to get 50% off a variety of ready-to-go complete meals approved by professionals and people who know how to cook chef crafted chef 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 crafted not chef crafted crafted chef crafted items for your culinary pleasure and you don't have to clean up afterwards well you might have to wipe your mouth we're not responsible for that how often do you wipe your mouth after you eat i have not counted I, don't, I mean, is it a normal thing or just ever wants to do If you eat something, but you can sense that you don't have anything on your face, are you still wiping or is that wasted motion? I don't know. Now that you're making me think about it, is this something I do and I don't, I don't even realize it? Even if I don't have a mess on my face? I mean, if well, you're eating you, a pastrami sandwich, you can be wiping your face. Well, it depends on what the condiments are. If you've got pastrami stuck to your face, it may be ruined pastrami. Did you get it from Factor Meals? Well, let's get back to what Factor Meals offers people. Well, that's what I'm saying is, is, you know, they offer people good quality, wholesome food at an attractive price and a variety of options. And it's nutritional and quick and easy for people on the go in, the, in, the, in their hurry, scurry world. In the hurry, scurry world. That sounds like a 60s folk song. A little new Christie's minstrel here. Factormeals.com slash JCE50. And use the code JCE50, 50% off. How in the world? Can it, I mean, even, even if it wasn't any good, feed it to the kids for half off, right? You're saving a ton of money. Once again, focus on your own personal health and supply yourself with the right fuel to be as healthy as you can be. There's only one dream that you can <laughs> have. <laughs> Only one star you can. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, very clearly. There's only one factor you need to factor into this. You need to factor this into your life. 
What's that promo code? One more time, Jim. Factormeals.com slash JCE50. Use the code JCE50. You're going to get 50% off. Well, that's Factor, a fine meal I wish I was eating right now. Instead, I think we're about 50% through raw. Is that correct? Uh, well, no, actually we're not, but we'll, we'll pick up time. Um, but wait, why you wish you were eating instead of talking to me? I don't mind talking to you while I'm eating as long as you're not watching me eat. <sighs> well, then I feel like that you're just goddamn blowing me off if I'm talking to you and you're just standing there stuffing your face and not fucking paying I'm attention listening. to me. I have super hearing. I'm listening to you with my super hearing. Well, then oh. why are we on Skype? I should just talk out loud in my own office here in my house and you'd be able to hear me. There's a lot of other things out there that I would pick up between here and Louisville, Kentucky in terms of sound, birds, rocks falling. Could be a number of things. People clicking <laughs> off their goddamn devices. Uh, so we were at the nine o'clock hour. And that's where we came, or what we came here, folks, because for, I'll say that again. That's what we came here, folks. That's what we came here for, <laughs> folks. Cody in the ring. For a big promo, got a big reaction and chant. The, the people in Lexington, by the way, always been a wonderful wrestling crowd. So he's getting the chance and everything, and they got the. That's where I noticed the great crowd shots. And again, it was the Rupp Arena was designed because they knew they were going to be on national television and with the Final Four or the NCAA tournament or whatever on some, you know, regular basis. So they wanted it to look sharp. And Cody says the reason that he is able to say that he chooses Roman Reigns or that he'll face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania was the fans. Because the, the wink and the nod. You know, I'm going to WrestleMania and I'm going to face Roman Reigns, but it was because of you guys. And the people who know know that it really was. And they started the We Want Cody chant. And he said, you know, I'm just trying to think of how I can possibly repay you. Well, I think there's only one way to repay you. And he looks dramatically at the WrestleMania sign. And I'm, they're, they're building this in perfectly with The Rock and all of the statements and the backlash and uproar. Because then he says, you know, I don't want to come out here and be emotional and become a crybaby which is another buzzword because rock the Cody crybabies. And as soon as he says crybaby, the fans start chanting Rocky sucks. I mean, it, they have, they've, they have ended up with a way where they are able to write this, where they know what the fans are going to do and they can bring it up. It's like the fans are working with them. Well, the fans are working with them, but the fans genuinely goddamn do you know what I'm saying? They blurred work and shoot. The fans genuinely wanted this and were in an, a genuine uproar that they weren't going to get it. But now that they know they're getting it, they've, they've been able to write around it where they can have the fans work with them. Yep. This is so goddamn confusing. I can't explain it. Anyway. So they actually pitched to the goddamn footage of rock on Pat McAfee, who, by the way, is at ringside doing commentary, but on his show, Rock was talking about the Cody crybabies shoving chicken nuggets up their asses. <laughs> and 
fucking Cody was all like, he gets the people to fucking laugh. He's like, what are we supposed to do with the Nuggets, Pat? I mean, it, it, they have succeeded the show. We don't need the matches. They just come out and fucking talk. And he put McAfee on the spot a little bit, made him a little uncomfortable. And then, you know, still trying to be the baby faces. She said, you know, all of us at some point or another were fans of The Rock. And the crowd starts booing again. But he said, I said nothing to defile The Rock's ancestors. And he slapped me in the face in public. The only thing he didn't say is, if you will. And then he said that what that means is I'm going to hit you back. But that's perfect with The Rock. And then here's Seth music. And we get five minutes of limp strutting and crowd woeing. Because he's over. And, but he's still having to do the... the he has to crouch because he's trying to baby the knee. And it is... I don't know. Could he just not go ahead and do what he did the first week, Seth, I'm talking about, and wear the brace over the fucking whatever and say, I'm working on this every day, but I'm braced up and I'm ready to go. Steve Austin wore two new, two knee braces or two new braces in most of his biggest matches, and nobody was like, oh, poor Steve, even if his, his knees were hurt, but he didn't give the appearance of that. Am, am I being too nitpicky? Eh, maybe in this case. Well, then they shouldn't have come out and he shouldn't have said, well, I've done all this damage to my knee, but I'm going to be there anyway. Why is this not part of the story that the world champion, gutsiest motherfucker on the goddamn roster, he's going to go out there, his knee isn't 100%, but he don't give a shit. Why did they tell us his knee was bad and establish that and then even if his knee's better by now why aren't they give him a little i don't it's it's better than him having to fucking strut the the limpy strut didn't it don't make me come over there oh what are you gonna do the limpy strut i'll do the limpy strut <laughs> into the curly <laughs> shuffle ah so they used to play that during the Mets games. Well, there you go. Wise guy. So Seth says, I was looking forward to facing you at WrestleMania, but I understand you got to finish the story. Okay. Now they're establishing some kind of bond here with them after the press conference and etc. We're tying up some basic loose ends here. And Seth Rollins has been on a roll here verbally. If you, you know, ignore the, He's wearing his wife's clothes and the strutting. But he told Cody, you need to finish the story for you, for me, for Dusty, for the fans. If you don't beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, it's going to be a dark time. After WrestleMania. And, and Rollins comes out there and builds this up as the last real chance that any of us, is a quote, any of us have to take the power and give it to the people. This was some brilliant shit. I love this. This was best Seth Rollins has been in a while. And it's perfect. If he don't fucking win, if Cody doesn't win, goddamn, everybody's going down with the ship on this one. I mean, they're doubling down. We thought that it was ready last year. It's goddamn ready. 
But now there's Seth who, can you see Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins against The Rock and Roman Reigns? Of course we can. And Seth is positioned where we don't have to see Seth and Cody fight again, which nobody really wanted to. But as a tag team or as a as a, a two friends combined for a purpose against other nefarious forces against them, whatever the fuck, yes. And it, it, but anyway, Rollins did a great job with building the last real chance that any of us have. Don't let any. But then he says, "What's your plan?" Last year, the bloodline was there. What's different this year? Now it's the Rock. And again, they Rocky sucks. Rocky sucks. But then Rollins, like, I don't know if John Wayne would have been this grammatically correct, but he says, you do not have to fight alone and gets a big pop. And he says, think about it. And off he goes. So, uh, you know, and he did the part about the, uh, the entitled pricks getting away with everything and that he's stepping up because, and then he made the shield references he referred to him in roman's days as the partners and you know so basically he wants to be cody's shield that's what uh is but it, it, it you pick it apart what did did you think cody was too dramatic or what's what's the issue whenever cody's on his own he gets too dramatic but he's great at interacting with people and playing off people. Rollins, I'm getting used to this now. He comes out there with his silly stuff. And then he starts talking serious. And he's great. Yeah. Weeks now he's been doing this. I like the idea of people in the company who are competitive with each other. Coming together because of the realization we have to end the bloodline somehow. This is our only chance. They're only going to get stronger after this. They've got a new Death Star. It's The Rock. <laughs> I liked it. So, uh, again, it, not just WrestleMania. That, believe it or not, Brian, from what I understand, I, I read the paper the other day, and they've actually scheduled April to continue after WrestleMania. There will be life after WrestleMania. Around the world, people, people will still continue on. So they've got all kinds of goddamn matches here for... Do they still do King of the Ring or SummerSlam or Saudi Arabia or, you know, fucking, I don't know, the Bolshevik Revolution, whatever. Yeah, when they book Wembley. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Wembley may be looking for a wrestling show next August, the way things are going over here in the States. You never know about these things. Uh, but it, that, uh, honestly, and we'll talk about a couple of things, and and one more good thing I'm going to, I'm going to, give some accolades to some people or allocades as Luger would have said, but we did have to sit through Liv Morgan and Zoe Stark and our truth wrestled JD Funko. And I've, I make note of this because somebody in the crowd had a sign that said pork chop cash in the dream machine huh. across from the hard camera. I didn't watch those segments. I missed it. Yes, it was. Well, and there was Cornette face was on the second row all night, but, Guy looked like he was six foot eight, I think, too. So nobody was going to tell him to take it off. But anyway, uh, at 10 o'clock, Becky Lynch in ring promo. And I'll tell you what, I know she can talk and she's been 
over for her talking for some time, and sometimes I give the whole women's division, you know, well, I got other things to do. But I want to see what's going on because I want to see what her interaction is going to be with Rhea Ripley. And again, she did a good promo about her obsession with wrestling as both as a fan and then as she gotten into it and how, you know, she sacrificed family and her daughter gets to, has to see her get beat up and bloody, but she's also going to have to see the brutality that she's capable of. And you can tell she's got a ton of input in this. This is something that she, this was hers, and she maybe, I don't know what the procedure is up there or the process these days. Did she go to the writers and say, hey, I want to say this shit. You know, this is, I've got this input or whatever, but this was her shit, at least quite a bit of it. And then, you know, when she did that, then she redirected to, you know, she was a mother, but she wanted to talk to mommy. And then they chant mommy, mommy, because they love Rhea Ripley. And Becky Lynch tells the fans, you don't think anybody can beat her, but I ain't just anybody. And she she asked for a drink, and it looked like they gave her either a lemonade or a urine sample. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? Well, it was a little more yellow than water would be, yes. Well, it, it, it but it was, I mean, we've seen obviously beer in arena plastic cups in the Austin segments, or if she didn't want people to think she's drinking beer, then it could have been water or it could even be cola covered, but it was lemonade. Was that the first choice? I don't know. Anybody. Anyway, she, she gets the drink and she asks everybody to raise a drink or pie, raise your popcorn or raise your fist to Rhea Ripley. And they start doing it. And she says her last few weeks as champion bottoms up. And then the people kind of boo a little bit. But instead of Rhea Ripley music, we get Ripley's Believe It or Not music. Here comes the refrigerator. And she plods to the ring with a microphone, speaking in her volume-induced monotone with uh, no emotion, no inflection, and a touch of bad acting. And that just, the voice... you would expect her to sound, I, my God, can we get Beatrice Arthur to do her voiceover, right? So you would expect some kind of shrewish, monstrous, rah, but instead it's like, eh, she sounds like Sable. And it just blows the look. And she gets in the ring and has a face-off with Becky, which, you know, obviously there's a size differential. And that's where I've also noticed the, the young man wearing the uh, cornet face shirt. And did you listen to any of this? Do you know what I'm about to talk about? I I, kind of didn't know. Okay. Well, I encourage everybody to, if you want to see some rotten fucking acting, (laughs) if she, the refrigerator tells Becky Lynch, she, her story is how much she respects her for what she just said, this promo that she had done about her obsession with wrestling and her relationship with her daughter. And Jack says, if my mother was half the mother that you are, I'd be lucky. 
And she says, and hopefully one day I can be a mother and use you as an example to my... And she starts trying to fake cry. And, she, and her voice is the cracking, you know, <laughs> kind of like when Lucy was crying, whenever Ricky get upset about something. And then the refrigerator tells Becky that she knows that Becky's going to win at Elimination Chamber because of her drive for her daughter. So that you're, Becky, you're going to go to WrestleMania and then she gets real fake serious and I'm going to beat Rhea so it'll be you and me. And now we get Rhea Ripley music. And this was like two diamonds sandwiching a sequin. Because here comes somebody that looks like a star, and of course she didn't even bother to talk, but she talks like a star whenever she did. And she hits the ring and takes the refrigerator down and attempts to unplug her and defrost her. But in the skirmish, the refrigerator squashes Rhea in the corner, but it just happens to be the corner that Becky Lynch is standing in, and so Becky Lynch gets squashed too. And now Rhea's down, but is Jax is going to kill Ripley Becky Lynch climbs to the top rope and drop kicks the refrigerator and she takes a bump out to the floor and tries to get back on the apron and Rhea comes over and gives her the big boot off the apron and keeps the danger on the floor, but now there's Becky and Rhea in the ring together. So even this was a great angle, it's just if anybody else with a personality could look like the refrigerator and could actually do this and would make it interesting. That's my thought. Well, I look forward to Becky and Rhea at WrestleMania. It's the road to WrestleMania. That's the bumpy path. <sighs> and then we had LA Knight and Ivar, the Viking and his lovely sidekick, Hal Valla. Um, Valhalla. You know, that's a golf club here in Louisville also. That's where they have the big PGA tournament. Traffic is horrible. And then it was the main event, Shaky and Sammy. And this went longer than it needed to. And then Drew McIntyre distracts Sammy Zayn and Shaky wins. And then they beat up Shaky or beat up Sammy until Cody hit the ring and made a big fucking save and beat up Drew and Shaky. And so that was exciting. Did wow. I miss any nuance in that? Uh... Another exciting episode of WWE Monday Night Raw. But Jim, the excitement continues here. And uh, we have something that as we are recording, a lot of the listeners are sending in to us from the latest issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Oh, boy. From Dave Meltzer. In an article... Oh, no, this is from the AEW section, apparently. Let me read this verbatim and see what you think. When we mentioned last week about morale being the best it has been in a long time, it was noted that the talent is getting along more than it has. But with so many wrestlers under contract, and only so many that can be pushed, inherently, there's going to be frustration. Because most on the roster are not people Excuse me. (laughs) Because most on the roster are not people just happy to not show their stuff and perform just because they're making good money. 
Would he please stop strangling the English language and make a point? What Say that again a little slower. Inherently, there is going to be frustration because most on the roster are not people just happy to not show their stuff and perform just because they are making good money. There are exceptions to that rule, but when you put together a roster of high-level performers, they are going to want when to When you perform. do, let me know! They are I'd like to see that company! <laughs> they are going to want to perform. There is also frustration from a lot of circles. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on before you continue with it, because I don't want to lose a couple of the points that I <laughs> was going to make. First of all, so last week he reported that morale is better than it's ever been, and this week he's reporting, except for the people who are really fucking pissed off about the way they're being used. Is that the Reader's Digest version, as they used to say, of that first paragraph? And also, where does he get this? <sighs> yes, Tony has too many people on his roster. I don't think it's, he doesn't have too many stars. He doesn't have too many top talents. He has too many people. But if they're getting paid, most of them should consider it a gift, whether they're wrestling or not. And yes, they should be doing what they are fucking told instead of bitching about whether or not they're on television. But I agree, there are way too many of them and most of them shouldn't be there because a lot of them are the shits. But, okay, go ahead. Once again, this is the follow-up to morales at an all-time high. <sighs> there is also frustration from a lot of circles since talent comes to the shows and sees the smaller crowd since the start of the year. Khan always paints a positive picture about the company being stronger due to increased revenues or bringing up ratings, and there's the feeling that popularity is declining overall and changes have to be made to turn it around, <laughs> and he's acting like everything is fine. <laughs> so, again, the second part of the follow-up to last week's morale is at an all-time high is that the boys know that the captain of the ship has fucking lost his mind and his compass and doesn't know where they're fucking going, and overall popularity of the company is declining, and we can see it every week because the crowds are getting smaller but he thinks everything's okay. I think, I think maybe it was better in the fucking attitude era when the guys didn't get along, but they sold out all the buildings rather than everybody's fucking friendly as punched as pleased. And they can't fucking sell a ticket. Yeah. Everyone in the locker room gets along. Just, they get to now put all their frustration on Tony. There's no, Diversions. There's no one on the side there. Like, oh, it's Punk. It's Cody. It's Cornette. <laughs> it's whoever. At this point, everyone there is buddies. All their own stuff is getting on TV. Whoever reported to Dave that morale's at all time high obviously triggered someone else saying, whoa, 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 back up, Dave. Eesh. Let me talk to you off the record. What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, they, they, oh, go ahead. They, they, they cut the cancer out and found out that that was the only interesting part of the patient. I guess this kind of ties into it in terms of morale. And it answers some questions to us. This is also from The Observer. As noted before, the deal with CMLL is that on any television show that their talent appears on, 
no other Mexican wrestlers can appear. It doesn't matter if they work for AAA or not, or did in the past. It's no other Mexican wrestlers can appear. Some of the prior Mexican talent is mad that Tony Khan agreed to those terms. Well, wait, wait a minute. Hold on here. What about if the guy's Mexican, but he happens to currently he's living in fucking Phoenix or whatever. And he's, you know, is he a CMLL wrestler? Well, is it retroactive to forever? No, for the other fucking guy, if a CMLL wrestler is on the show, no other Mexican wrestlers can be on the show. Does that mean like a guy that wrestled in Mexico years ago and he's Mexican, but now he happens to be here full time and they just thought they'd book him? Oh, no. He's from Guadalajara. What the fuck? But besides that, why would you agree to some? How many Mexican promotions does he have to work with? And, and why couldn't he just say, okay, I'll work with CMLL or I'll work with AAA? Don't they have enough wrestlers? He can't get all the Mexican wrestlers he needs from one company. He's got to jump through hoops with made-up stipulations to get in the way of shit just to have, what was the guy's name? Hecaharo and... Hechichero. Wherever the fuck. Or Hechicero, one of the the other. One or the other. Not one of the other, one or. Whoever it may be. (laughs) What the fuck is going on here? Well, let me explain. And it's always good to dive headfirst into the Lucha Libre political wrestling world. Some of the prior Mexican talent is mad that Tony Khan agreed to those terms, noting that AAA never made a demand like that for AEW to not feature CMLL talent, even though they were warring in Mexico. We do know, at the start, that Tony Khan's vision was to work with everyone <laughs> And in the early days, CMLL didn't allow its talent to go there because they were working with AAA and New Japan didn't work with them under their previous president. It was noted that Penta and Phoenix were in AEW from day one in particular and the feeling it's disrespectful to them. And there would be shows including perhaps multiple pay-per-views this year including any pay-per-view anyone from CMLL is booked on, that they couldn't even be allowed on the show. Previously, it was just Forbidden Door. There was an incident with Penta coming off the Jericho cruise where he stayed for Dynamite as he was under the belief that he was booked on and was there only to find that he couldn't appear on the show because they had booked CMLL guys for both Dynamite and Rampage. So again, I think this falls under the AEW drama. Oh. Penta and Phoenix, they've been there since like the first episode. Now all of a sudden they can't be booked on any of the shows these guys are on. But what difference does it make if it's not in the same fucking country? When In Japan, when Baba would bring guys in from working for Vern, they'd be partnered up with guys working for Crockett. It and and sometimes promoters that weren't necessarily friendly with each other, guys would be working together over there because nobody fucking it didn't matter. So it matters these, to CMLL. But if they can if they can get their guys extra work and extra exposure on television and extra payoffs, even if the show is a rotten fucking wrestling show, uh, what difference does it make unless Tony's going to run Mexico? 
Tony's trying to bring people together. Oh, Unite nations and people. All continental or all Atlantic, but also countries on the Pacific as well. Well, and, and, and there's some that are on both sides. So AEW drama gets reported that morale's at an all-time high, and I'm sure it is. It's all friends that are left. I don't know. I believe there might be a, a few non-friends that are uh, contracts may be still in effect that are laying low, but... Well, this is the reality of AEW, and on the topic of AEW, Jim, let's go to some other surprising AEW news this past week. <sighs> Fightful Select, Sean Ross Sapp reported that QT Marshall has returned to AEW <laughs> in the, I believe, the same vice president role he what previously held last year. He's not scheduled to return as in-ring talent, but he will be returning to the vice president role and free to wrestle elsewhere at the same time, with the exception of WWE, some CMLL. Triple A kind of actually going on there. Well, what last year? It was it was two months ago. It was last year? That's when he left, right? And it was this, he's coming back the same play. He he had a problem with the direction of the company, and he left. And within four months, they brought him back. But and, and that's the thing is, he wanted to concentrate more on his wrestling career than than being an executive. So now he's in four months. He's concentrated on his wrestling career, and he's coming back to be an executive. And I guess we'll tie it in with this story I saw this week that Rocky Romero has now been hired to be something backstage, a producer of some sort, a wrestling producer of some quality backstage. How come all the wrestling producers don't get to tell Tony Khan what wrestling looks like? Because they, they're not all crazy. You know, that's one of the problems. Usually a wrestling producer, usually is someone who loves the wrestling business. They're really happy to still be involved with it because there are very limited jobs, especially for major league companies or well-paying jobs. They're happy to be involved with it, but there's just a constant frustration when you have to deal, whether it was Vince McMahon at his peak of craziness or Tony Khan, who just, they're insistent on their vision being what their production will be, and they can't really cede any ground to that. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people there who can help. I, I'm, I'm not going to throw a blanket of endorsement on everybody in the, because who knows these days what somebody may fucking spout off and think is proper wrestling, and I would, it would make me shiver to my core. But there are a few name and have been in the past names there that have a long experience in wrestling and were well thought of in the ring in their day, and you can't find any of it, any of that influence in 90% of the, you can in FTR, you could in, in punk, obviously, you could in certain people, but mostly you can't find any of that influence, either in terms of the actual in-ring, you know, bumps and moves, or the psychology of when and why to do same and, and what the fuck or get over his personalities or just get the match over is something more than endless repetition, the whole nine yards. And in what other 
line of work or endeavor or sport or whatever do you have the experienced coaches telling trying to tell people that are the current players or performers or whatever how to do the shit and they don't fucking do it i don't i don't understand well welcome back qt you're not going to be on tv that may be a positive you could just focus on your executive duties and you know what i could say after watching tv the last several weeks we missed the qt marshall era of writing tv <laughs> i was that <laughs> i mean if if this has been the lack of his influence yeah, yeah. maybe they need it more than we thought uh cuz tony is tony on his own now or if no, this is jimmy tony jacobs. Un- he's got jimmy jacobs Oh, good Lord. I, you know, never had a problem with Jimmy Jacobs, for heaven's sake. So I don't want to lambaste him until we know how much exertion Tony is putting into this thing. But uh, somebody needs to, if it's possible, sit him down and try to halfway smarten Tony up. Well, we shall see if it's uh, QT Marshall or someone else. One of the areas he's had to need some help. He's, that's awful English, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> One of the areas where Tony could have used some help over a long period of time, and maybe currently, is with merch. They had a lot of hot acts at different points. Yeah. People were ready to buy merch. Yeah. Merch just wasn't there. Wasn't available at these shows where people had the money in their hand wanting to spend it. Wasn't even there. Maybe Tony could take some time away from all of his busy booking work and start a new online store, and he could power it with our friends at Shopify. Well, that's right, because, you know, he he made the mistake of not letting professionals handle another aspect of his business. And as a result, things went to hell in a handbasket, as Mama Cornette used to say. And that doesn't have to be the case for you folks out there. If you've got a business, if you'd like an online presence, if you would like to sell more of your merchandise more profitably and easily, then you need the owl-powered all-star I'm sorry, that's AI, I'm being told. The AI-powered all-star Shopify and their Shopify magic and all of their various Shopify sections that power... What are you laughing about? (laughs) They've got incredible amounts of of various departments. They've got the (laughs) Shopify magic. They've got Shopify. They've got their single (laughs) dashboard. They've got, they, they, they generate instant fact answers to fact questions and they will grow your average order value with Shopify bundles. That's another, and Shopify collective. They've got all kinds of Shopify departments for whatever you want to do to make people all over the world, get on the internet and send you money. And you don't even have to be a Nigerian prince or some type of person trying to smuggle money into the country. You can do it the old fashioned way. Capitalism. Because Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From I'm starting a business stage, to the I'm selling stuff stage, to I've made a fortune stage, to oh my god, the government is after me for all these back taxes stage. Well, Shopify don't know your ass then, I'll tell you that. But you should have taken care of that before you started out. Anyway, folks, right now... In these uncertain times, in this trying atmosphere of the world we find ourselves in, you got to have something to fall back on. So start selling stuff on the internet. 
Look at me. I don't leave the house now. I don't have to fucking associate with you cretins out there because I sell stuff on the internet. And you can too. Because all you got to do is go to shopify.com slash JCE, all lowercase on that JCE, and you can sign up for a $1 a month trial period. A dollar a month. Oh my God. It, that's cheaper than a lemonade stand would charge for rent. You could rent a lemonade stand and it would cost you more money than it would to just sign up for a dollar a month trial period at shopify.com slash JCE to grow your business. Because after you go to shopify.com, they tell you everything. They, they say, here's what we can do for you, which is everything. And you're going to be taking money in like the federal government in no time at all. And the best part of it is, if, if, if you get arrested in some way, they'll bail you out of prison no. with the money that they've taken in. No. Because, well, if, if, see, with that Shopify, what is it? The Shopify still, hold on. No, there's no God Shopify bail bondsman. I lost it. No, it's the Shopify Collective. That's where you can sell other people's stuff. And there may be a risk to that. I still don't know how they let you do that. But they'll bail you out if something happens. Anyway. $1 a month trial period. That's that's what we're talking about, right, Brian? A dollar a month. A that's mere right. Three point three cents. No, three cents. Well, how, how would you determine that? How many pennies per day? We were so close to being done with this when you decided to dive into math. All righty. Well, Shopify.com slash JCE pennies per day. But you can make... As much as you can make with whatever stuff you're allowed to sell legally. Well, yes, there's no limit on what you can make, but it only costs you pennies a day to sell it. All right, well, that's Shopify. Check them out. Let them know where you heard about them. Well, maybe feel them out first before you mention our name. That's right, and when you're done feeling them up, we got a few more things to get through. No, not today. feeling them up, feeling them out. What did I say? I thought that's what I said. Feeling them up. Oh, you're a pervert. All right, listen, we got a few things here. Yeah. Jim, I have the 2023 Pro Wrestling Illustrated Achievement Awards. Oh, boy. This issue recently arrived here at Last Manor. I think we previously talked about the nominees. Someone said they sent us the nominees. It was just their nominees. <laughs> it wasn't even the real nominees. Yeah, yeah, I thought was the one. <laughs> We're like, who, what the fuck? Who would nominate these people? All right, well, Rookie of the Year. Any guesses who won Rookie of the Year? I, I, I'm i going to pass on any of the guesses because... All right. 29% of the vote went to Saul Rucka or Ruka. I don't know who. What? Who is he? No, it's a woman, and it says copyright WWE, so that makes me think she's in NXT somewhere. Saul Ruka or Rucka. Well, who did Saul beat out? She beat out because it. Wow. At 21%, Ava Rain, the Rock's daughter... <laughs> who was so good in the ring that now she's the general manager. <laughs> and also, um, again, a wrestler I'm not familiar with. Her name is Toga, uh -uh. but she's not wearing a toga. It's just her name. And finally, another woman here on the list, Gabby Forza. And then 32% went to the other votes. That's Rookie of the Year. What? Where's the year of a Braun Breaker or an MJF or something of that nature? What in the world? Is this our future? Well, every single name here votes for others. Some of the top vote-getters who did not capture a runner-up spot include Danny, pa Danny Palmer, 
Yuma, I thought you were going to say Danny Partridge. Yuma Anzai and Tiara James. What the? F- Women have taken over the Rookie of the Year spot, it seems like. Most Improved Wrestler of the Year with 31% of the vote, L.A. Knight. I, well, I'm not going to argue with anything he wins, but I think they're confusing most improved. His, his performance, obviously he's working hard to step up his game, but his, his push and his, the, the manner he's being featured is what's improved rather than him drastically improving. He was this good last year, right? I guess so. Well, he beat out a tough competition here. Julia Hart with 28%. Oh, boy. Okay. Trick Williams with 9%. And Sonata with 4%. In Sonata? I thought that was a suburb of Los Angeles. Sonata. And 28% went to other people, including Dominic Mysterio, Thea Hall, and Kenzie Page. The comeback of the year. Any guesses? Comeback of the year? Uh, Well, punk. He came back during that year, didn't he? Uh, Code did Cody came back last year? Was this in their voting period? I think he came back before that, uh, before whatever the voting period is. I would think. Ah. Uh, well, here it is: the winner, Trinity. Trinity. What? Comeback of the year. She came back in TNA, won a title, and then she uh, immediately left and went back to WWE. Good lord! Comeback of the year. Uh, other people who got votes: nineteen percent for Soraya. Oh, God. 17% for Adam Cole. How the, what do you, how he the came hell? back and crippled himself on live television. <laughs> how the hell can you say Adam Cole had come back? He came back from an injury that nobody actually <laughs> saw happen to fucking commit one on national live television. And finally, with 16%, Trish Stratus, 28% went to other people, including CM Punk, Miro, and Roderick Strong. Oh, God. I mean, so that's the others. Okay. The Inspirational Wrestler of the Year. I think we can see who's buying this wrestling magazine these days. Well, 37% Inspirational Wrestler of the Year vote went to Mark Briscoe. You can't argue with that. Second place was Cody Rhodes with 25%, followed by Richard Holiday with 8%, and Mickey James with 7%. Other votes included Bray Wyatt, Zelina Vega, and Billy Starks. The most popular wrestler of the year. Any guesses? Um, Cody. 27% of the vote, Cody Rhodes. Most popular wrestler of the year, second place, L.A. Knight. 1% behind with 26. Ooh. Followed by MJF with 9% and Sami Zayn with 6%. Other votes included Seth Rollins, Bianca Belair, and Trinity. The most, I don't know why you're laughing. I was not. I think Trinity's whole family is buying this magazine. The most hated wrestler of the year. Any guesses? Uh, well, with 2023. Well, I can't remember when they ruined MJF. Um, so I don't. I don't know. With 52 percent of the vote, Dominic Mysterio. Okay, all 52%, right. 52%, I think that's the biggest percentage we've seen anyone get. 8% for Christian Cage, 7% for Roman Reigns, 6% for CM Punk, 27% for other people, including Don Callis, MJF, and Logan Paul. The feud of the year, I'll just give you this one. Sami Zayn versus The Bloodline <laughs> with 31%. <laughs> 
followed by CM Punk versus AEW, which 20%. CM Punk versus AEW. I've never seen a put like that. 20%. It wasn't, wasn't even a thing. Followed by Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar with 10% and Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus with 8%. Other votes. But, included- wait, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Again, back to the top. Back to the top. Give us that one again. Sami Zayn versus the Bloodline, 31% of Sammy the Sami Zayn versus... It ended in February. Last February at the Elimination Chamber. This is for 2023. Again, the Montreal contingent must have stuffed the ballot box. Yes, it was, it was a wonderful thing, but we're ignoring everything that's happened all year when business is blown up because of that. I'm not... I'm not sure that I can concur with that. I don't have a big problem with it because there are lots of other things that happen and people broke out as big stars, but what are the other big feuds that propelled things for weeks at a time? The Sammy storyline in the midst of the bloodline was a big thing for a while. Yeah. Well, a lot of but, energy. But now that you say that, because actually the Usos breaking up was a big deal, but they, then they never had a goddamn program. So well, for the record, thirty-one percent other votes went to Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, followed by Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay and Don Callis's family versus Kenny Omega. The Indie Wrestler of the Year. You're not going to get this, so I'll give it to you with fifty percent of the vote. Matt Cardona, Indie Wrestler of the Year, and he's uh, friends with uh, Cody, correct? Or Dustin, or one of the Rhodeses. I believe uh, he, came, he, came, he He did one, yeah, Cody, he did one match in AEW. That's right. Then he went, I believe he's reinvented himself on the indie scene and really uh, capitalized on what he's done out on the indie scene. So he wins, followed by 7% for Steph DeLander, 6% for Alley Catch, and 5% for Brian Keith, who just signed with AEW. Other votes... 32% went for Becca, and the E is a three. Uh, Blake Christian and Adam Priest. Match of the year. This is a surprising one. Match of the year with 13% of the vote. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, WrestleMania. Ooh. Uh, I, I'm surprised, first of all, that a legitimate... Actual match of the year, actually one match of the year in a poll like this. And secondly, with only 13%, everybody must have been all over the page on the other choices. Right. At 11%, coming in second was Gunther versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre, uh, which was a hard-hitting match at WrestleMania, followed by Omega versus Will Ospreay. Oh, good Lord. Followed by MJF versus Brian Danielson. That was a great match. 59% of the other folks went for Various things, including Moxley versus Orange Cassidy, <laughs> Roman and Solo versus the Usos, and Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome. I mean, again, the best match of the year was FTR and uh, Jen and Juice on whether it was Collision or Dynamite. It was Collision. It that, was Collision, week, right? Early yeah. weeks of Collision. That was the best wrestling match of the year from, if, if you're just gearing it to wrestling match it wasn't the main event at wrestlemania or highly featured on a pay-per-view but if it's you're talking about the best match that was the best match of the year from any fucking promotion anywhere in the goddamn world and they didn't even vote for it what the fuck is the matter with people well tag team of the year 37 percent of the vote ftr 
FTR. There you go. So they know it happened. They just, well, because it was on AEW television. Maybe they just said, ah, fuck it. It couldn't have been any good. Problem is tag team wrestling in general. Second place, 16% for Owens and Zayn, followed by 9% for Better Than You, Bebe, which was uh, MJF and Adam Cole, followed by (laughs) 6% for the Usos, 32% for the other teams, including Motor City Machine Guns, Young Bucks, and Finn Balor and Damian Priest. Faction of the Year, Judgment Day, 48% of the vote, followed by Blackpool Combat Club at 16%. The Bloodline with 11, Bullet Club Gold with 6. Other votes included House of Black, The Outcasts, and The Cosmic Angels. Who are The Cosmic Angels? Woman of the Year. Any guesses for Woman of the Year? Uh, with the, 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 uh, Rhea Ripley. Woman of the Year? Taylor Swift. Oh, come on. With 50% of the vote, Rhea Ripley, Woman of the Year, 50% of the vote. With 7% coming in second is Tony Storm, followed by Bianca Belair with six, and Athena with five. 32% other votes for Marcia Slamovich, Camille, and Trinity. Wrestler of the Year. Is this the last one? No, there's two after this. Wrestler of the Year. Who was Wrestler of the Year for 2023? Uh, just, who was willing to take a photo with a plaque well i would if i was going grading strictly on uh someone actually deserving of that honor one could say cody rhodes one could say roman reigns one could say is was anybody still important in the year of 2023 in aew that was deserving of that honor? I can't remember. Well, with 27% of the vote, Wrestler of the Year is Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. Well, there you go. The Workman's title. Followed by 15% for Gunther, 12% for Will Ospreay, and 9% for MJF. 37% of the other votes went to people including Rhea Ripley, Roman Reigns, and Brian Danielson. So Wrestler of the Year. Any problems with Seth Rollins? Yeah, well, I, you know, again, it's the it's the working man's title. He's the wrestler of the year, and then they, they worry about the box office attraction on another category. As soon as he started talking about like the working man's title, he got hurt. But uh, <laughs> the Stanley Weston Award this is a uh, tribute award, no, a lifetime achievement award. That's what it is. Went to two people. Sting, Sting, and here he is with his famous. Sting frown, or whatever you call it, doesn't really smile anymore like he used to. But Sting, and also Nancy Benoit. Oh, well, that was nice. That was nice. And then there's a few pages of fan submissions that we will not be acknowledging here on the show. Yes. All right, well, those are the PWI Awards. Well, now, there there you have it. Everything you ever wanted to know about who the the... People were in 2023 we had to keep an eye on, and, and fortunately, we kept an eye on most of them and managed to avoid them altogether. Well, Jim, before we wrap things up, let me ask you about a few retro figures that recently arrived here at Last Manor. I told you previously about fellas with a purpose, the unofficial <laughs> men on a mission figures. The same company, Hastel Toy, their grapplers and gimmicks line, has put out a new King... Well, they can't call him King Mabel. It's just King Nelson. <laughs> King Nelson, and it's a giant 
figure named Nelson Frazier Jr. happens to look a lot like Mabel. And he comes with a little crown that you can wear on his head, just like the real Mabel won at King of the Ring. What do you remember about Mabel getting his push? Well, first of all, if is, is King Nelson, but is he dressed like Mabel or is it just he's just he's just like King Mabel? He's so they can have him dressed like he can appear to look like Mabel. He just can't be called Mabel. That's right. Somehow, I've, I think a, a good attorney, too bad <laughs> well, McDevitt's retired, because a good attorney could pick that apart. We might, we might know one ourselves here in a few minutes. Hey. But, um, <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, he was huge. He was enormous. He was a massive man. And Vince loved giants. And, you know, whether they were, you know, unnaturally tall or unnaturally heavy or or whatever, anybody like that is going to attract Vince's attention. It goes back to the carnival days and the, you know, the early days of wrestling. But the problem was with Mabel, besides the fact that that was the, the mid-90s and somebody had just convinced Vince that rap was a thing, and it's a, but he didn't want to be, he couldn't be offensive, you know, NWA style rap because he's still the family friendly product. And uh, poor Bobby Horn, he was the one that was legitimately had a career before and after in the wrestling business and wanted to be a, a wrestler. Uh, but they were stuck with that men on a mission gimmick with the flousy pants and the, and, Oscar, we've talked about the rapper who just had never been in a wrestling business before. And it just, it didn't get over. But then Vince, out of all three of them, Mabel's the one he wanted to, to push and make serious. And I don't know. I think maybe if the people had only seen, what was it, Viscera during the Attitude Era, if they had seen him first, with the mean look and the metal teeth or whatever, instead of seeing the big fat guy with the bad rap music and the bad rapper manager and the clowny purple costume, it looked like Ringling Brothers, and then they tried to repackage him later on, he was never going to be in the main event. Well, they tried, but that's the point. They, they made him King Mabel. They elevated him from just being on a mission to being on a throne. Yes. Did that to elevate him. I mean, no one said Vince, you know, Kevin Nash, he gave a push to. He may not have turned business around, but at least he kind of got over with the fans we have. No one's clamoring for more Mabel. Well, yeah, well, that, that's what I was about to say is he was never going to be in a main event on his talent, but on size, you could steal something in limited quantities or even like El Gigante or fucking blah, 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 or whatever. But the gimmick had been so preposterous at the beginning, and then he started hurting people because that's 600 pounds legitimately or whatever the fuck it was, high fives. And, you know, so then nobody wants to work with him, and the people are not reacting to it. I think the best thing, like I said, the late 90s when <laughs> when he was kind of a gimmick in the middle with a fearsome look, and I seem to remember contact lenses. I can't remember one of his fucking matches. But to me, that would be the look if you were going to have a guy, and maybe made him a bodyguard, and not have him wrestle very much at all, 
and maybe only in tag team matches with a, you know, a young spry heel partner that was the boss of the whole thing, something like that. But Vince was for what, and this was before I joined the creative team. Cause remember I was King of the ring 95. So I do not know what the behind the scenes discussions were as to why he thought that Mabel should be the king of the ring. Look at Kings of the Ring, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, Mick Foley, fucking Mabel. And this is right before they're like, you know what? Let's just hand it over to Bill Watts. Yes. Which lasted a few and weeks. Watts would have figured out a better way to use Mabel if he'd have found, you know, See, that's the thing. They made their first mistake when they find a guy that's six foot ten or whatever he was and five hundred and whatever pounds and put him in that fucking goofy gimmick to begin with. If you could have hidden him and trained him and just brought him out to, you know, attempt to assassinate goddamn whoever the top baby face was, was when he was ready, you might have had something. But, oh, boy. And of course, they were the Harlem Knights in Memphis Wrestling in 93. You may remember them from a good period of time, actually, for Memphis Wrestling TV. But what do you think the finishing maneuver on this uh, package here for King Nelson is? Um, your notice. The Royal Clobber. <laughs> what the, the Royal Clobber? The Royal Clobber. I figure what he gives that finish to The Undertaker and he gets his notice. There's also another set here of uh, fellas with a purpose with a different color scheme. So now they have variants. I have another set of figures that just came out here, Jim. This is from Epic Toys. Their wrestling megastars line. This is a Hasbro-styled set of, I guess you would say, mid-1980s British Bulldogs. Baby oh. Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid. I have to say, Epic Toys has been doing a great job. These look great. Really, really cool. And it makes me think of the Bulldogs are always one of those teams people mention as dream opponents for the Midnight Express that never happened. When you look at the 80s and the guys that were either in WWF and you didn't cross paths with them or wrestled only in Japan or whatever it may be, who's the dream tag team that you guys, that you wish the Midnight Express had worked with that never happened? Oh, and would they have worked well with the Bulldogs? Um, some yes and some no. And I'll explain it in a second. And when you, I always envisioned, boy, if we'd ever got the chance to work with Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens, but then you'd had two great heel teams, no babyface team. But it just it would have been an honor, and me be across the ring from Bobby Heenan. I honestly think that Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart would have been better opponents for the Midnight, and even though they were heels, also. Well, let's say, I don't know whether we take turns. I'm sure they would have been, wanted us to be the baby faces, we, them, or whatever. But if you were just talking about having a match, Brett and Neidhart would have been better opponents than Davey and Dynamite because Davey and Dynamite had such a, not only a unique style, but they probably, they, they wouldn't, well, I don't, I don't want to say unique style because it was the Calgary style and the, British style and dynamite had pioneered some of that, but I don't, they weren't as high spot oriented or fluid as the midnight express was. Whereas the midnight weren't going to stand there and trade, you know, the hard chops were 
dynamite and the diving headbutts and whatever it I don't you know Bobby Eaton could work with anybody and Bobby versus Bret Hart is like one of those dream matches we never got yeah see that's but Bret was Bret was a combination of the the British style the world of sports style the the stuff that dynamite did and actual normal pro wrestling working and Neidhart, uh, we we got to know in Louisiana, and he was a heck of a worker when he, you know, had his mind on his business and was in shape and everything. So I think that match would have been better. Uh, honestly, I would have liked to have seen what Bobby and Dennis or Bobby and Stan could have done with Jannetty and Michaels. Um, we, we the only time that Man. Eden and Condry ever worked with um. With uh, Janetti was his partners with Bulldog Bob Brown, and we worked with Shawn Michaels when he was in his first month in the business doing jobs in Mid South. But otherwise, nevertheless, um, you know. So th- I guess that's the thing is that I was Steamboat and Youngblood. I think my God, that would have been fantastic. And they, what they their run was eighty two, eighty three, and and they were broke up by 84 when we just started. So we just missed that opportunity when we went to the Carolinas. Who else am I leaving at? If you had gone up there when you had the offer uh, for the opportunity in 1986, if you guys had gone up there and arrived at any point in 86, you probably would have been working with either the Bulldogs, unless the Heart Foundation stuff was already pre-planned that far in advance, the Killer Bees maybe, the Islanders. I mean, these were the babyface teams. Well, now, one at a time, um, Blair and Brunzel, they would have been great to work with, but they never put them on top. I don't remember them as being a featured, really in a featured position. So that would have kind of sucked. All right. And the Islanders, well, that, yeah. the Islanders weren't in a featured oh, position Island- either at that the point. Islanders were at the time, who the fuck were the Islanders? It was uh, the Tonga kid who became Tama and Haku who had been King Tonga. Well, yeah. And, you know, again, uh, especially Haku, nobody's going to fucking mess with him. And Tonga kid was a great athlete, but I don't know if that was the Midnight Express, rock and roll, fantastic, Southern boys, high spot type of style that we meshed well with. Yeah, and then the Can-Am connection of Martell and Zink would come into play, turning into, eventually after Zink got fired or quit or whatever happened, uh, Strike Force with Martell and Tito Santana. Well, Mar- Martell and Zink, we, we could have fucking uh, had a heck of a match with also, because Martell was tremendous, and we know from just, you know, try not to let Zink get in the way from Zink and Pillman. But I guess that's the thing. If you had come in in 86, they probably would have slotted you just to go around the loop the first time, at least, with one of those mid-tag teams. Uh, to use a term, to get you ready for a tag title shot, to get you over so that yeah. people were ready for it. And the question becomes, if you had done that, the early 87 title change, where the Bulldogs dropped it to the Hart Foundation, the story always goes, they insisted, McMahon wanted them to drop it to the Sheik and Volkov, and they're like, no way. <laughs> we're, dropping it to, we're dropping it to Brett and Neidhart. And it worked out really well. But timing-wise, that potentially would be where the Midnight Express would be position-wise in WWF at that time. Well, but we'll never know, and I think it probably worked out for the best because, you know, again, the 
the mid eighties tag teams in the WWF were still in the middle. Whereas, you know, we were in the main events and we're working, you know, not only with the regular teams, but we work, we got to work with Dusty and the Road Warriors, for fuck's sake, besides rock and roll and all those guys. And that wasn't a stylistic high spot match, but the Warriors were so over. And the Midnight were the smaller heels that could bump off of them and make it work. But we also had Dusty and Nikita. And, you know, so we were featured in more main events through that period of time and more highly placed on television than we probably would have been in the WWF at that point. Well, those are the British Bulldog figures from Epic Toys. Once again, these look great. And let's wrap this segment up and this show up with finally the new set of figures from Ringside Collectibles, which is an online store. Now they have their own figures. They're called Bell to Bell. Remco-ish, I guess, in style. But I have here two different sets of the Steiner Brothers. Rick and Scott, one of them have them in matching leotards, I guess we would say. The other one is kind of a night... Leotards? Well, what's their, uh, what, what is it called? Their uh, singlets, well, these excuse The singlet, me. the amateur the wrestling style singlet, the, the leotards. Singlet. The, excuse me, the singlet. The other one is kind of more 1992 Steiner Brothers. Rick's wearing one thing, Scott's wearing another. When Scott first came in, he wore yellow trunks. Then eventually him and Rick wore something somewhat matching once Rick stopped wearing the Varsity Club outfit. The Midnight Express famously, up until really Bobby and Stan, rarely wore matching stuff. What is your take on if tag teams should wear matching stuff or shouldn't, if they're a regular tag team with a name and theme music and everything, whether it's the Steiner Brothers or the Midnight Express? Well, in, in the Steiners specifically case, Rick had been established as a personality and Scott came in and a lot of people don't necessarily remember Rick was the star and Scott was the little brother and Rick had been, had done the varsity club, but also he modified everything. The dog face gremlin. Remember he'd come in with mismatched boots and, you know, different shit when he was, you know, he's a mental case and. And when Scott came in to highlight his physique and that he was an all-American wrestler, he was wearing, you know, nice spandex tights and gear and everything and looked like a normal person. And then over a period of time, Scott metamorphosized into the fucking weirdo and Rick looked normal. Who would have thought it? But um, and by the way, there was a weirdo Scott Steiner, very, I don't know if we want to call it a weirdo, but where he has the chain hat and the big yes. pump a pump. They have one of those two. You call it a variant or a deviant? Not the weirdo, but just um, a variant, yes. Yes. But anyway, with um with other teams, it depends on it just it depends on the team. But if you're going for, you know, like the the Rock and Roll Express never wore really matching shit. They wore the same kind of shit, but it was different colors. And then, you know, like you said, when Bobby and Dennis, when we got together in Louisiana. They didn't have any matching shit. They'd never been a team before, right? And Bobby had a couple robes. Dennis had a couple robes, but not the same kind, so they would kind of swap off. And to be honest, not only did we get nothing made a whole year in Louisiana, we didn't have time. We didn't know anybody made this shit besides K&H making tights and Bill Ash in Arkansas made the boots. We didn't have a robe connection, and we were too busy. When we went to Dallas... That's when 
they finally got some shit made to this woman that was making stuff for the boys, but we it was like pulling teeth to get when we left to go to Georgia and work for Crockett to get the stuff before we left. She was behind, and then some of it wasn't right. But they had some matching stuff, and we got a little bit more, and then Dennis left the team. <laughs> so then when Stan comes in, he had some fabulous one shit. And so they mix and matched for a little while until they finally got some shit made. And because, I mean, again, we're working fucking eight shows a week while all these changes are going on. So and it there wasn't as much of a uh, importance placed on wardrobe back in those days, except if you're flair. But we were never going to have that fucking competition where somebody spent $7,000 on a fucking robe. It wasn't going to happen. And back then... You you got your own shit made and you paid for it yourself. So we snuck in and every once in a while got a little deal. So when Bobby and Stan started getting their stuff that was custom, I mean, they had a very distinct look as a team. Bobby had the pants, Stan had the trunks. Yeah. Jackets, robes, everything was matching colors, looked great. When was the change? Who did you meet that changed everything? Um, they, A couple of people. There was... um. That when we got to Charlotte, some of the guys knew. If, I mean, Miss Olivia was gone by then, not gone dead, but just moved away. Um, and we didn't want to spend that kind of money anyway. But uh, there were a few people in Charlotte and or Atlanta, I think, that made tights. And then Sting actually uh, had this lady in Dallas that had made a lot of his stuff that made some of the later uh, big robes for... Bobby and Stan and and some of that stuff, but it was just if you would hear from some of the guys, oh, where'd you get that? Well, I, so and so made it for me. Oh, give me the number. That's you know, there was no goddamn organization any of that because it wasn't like the the WWE now has the costuming department and oh, we're gonna draw up some designs and see if this works. What is your input? No, it was, hey, can you sew? Sell me some shit. All right. Well, that was the uh, Retro Figures segment here. Some really cool stuff. And of course, once again, the latest Jim Cornette Midnight Express Heavenly Bodies Now figures available at yes. jimcornette.com. And, they, and they're all dressed differently, by the way. You get the Eaton and Condry set. Bobby's dressed differently than the Eaton and Lane set. The Heavenly Bodies are in their outfits. And everything is different from the Midnight Express four pack. So collect them all, kids. Well, Jim, perhaps if you're listening to this show, you're saying to yourself, the last hour kind of sucked, and they're not going to play music. I want to sue. I want my money back. Well, in that case, I would call 1-877-50-STEVE. But then again, if you call him and try to get him to sue us, he's probably not going to want to do it because that's our attorney, the legendary, the incomparable, the world-famous Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, but if you don't want to mess with us, then he'll take your case on a variety of other methods. That's right. A variety of other methods. What a variety of other that? A variety of other offenses, or a variety, well, not offenses, a variety of other topics, genres, wrongful termination. Did you hear that? Something, something just crashed outside my office, I think. Well, it's, it's they're lobbing pumpkins. Wrongful termination damage and negligence to your property or yourself through illegal means by major corporations, opioid-addicted babies, sexual harassment in the workplace. If, you, if somebody's been messing with you, 
Stephen P. New can tell them where to go on your behalf. 877-50-STEVE. Well, with that, we're going to wrap this up. We've been going a while. The energy is gone. We got to watch other stuff and talk. Hey, I'm feisty. I'm, I'm feisty and I'm just ready to hop here. All right. I I can see that you're tailing down. So we'll, we'll close up for now. All right. Well, we're going to put our tail down and shake a tail feather onto the experience in a few days. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, go to YouTube, the archive, patreon.com slash cornet. He's Jim. I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!